Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of Vinyl and Vision. Here we are with episode 71. Today's very special guest are the Handcuffs. Three out of five members of uh, the Handcuffs to be exact, and uh, three out of five ain't bad. Uh, we have Brad Elvis, drummer and backing vocalist, Chloe F. Orwell, lead vocalist and rhythm guitar, and Jeffrey Kamisiak, uh, lead guitarist. Now, all three of those members are here tonight to join me to speak about an influential record to them, which happens to be, or what they chose, what they happened to land on together, collectively, was David Bowie's Hunky Dory. Luckily for me, this comes uh, not too long after the last Bowie record that I had uh, I had tackled, uh, Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. This record, Hunky Dory, comes directly before Ziggy Stardust was released, and uh, and we get into it. You know, I, I share a lot of information about uh, this record, what I was able to find, and uh, and its relation, obviously, to the band, the Handcuffs, and the members, and uh, what the significance of this record is on on, uh, on these members. Um, what you've been listening to is one of the first singles off of uh, the Handcuffs' new album, "Burn the Rails." This is a song I called "I Cry for You." At the end of the episode, I will feature a small portion of uh, their newest single off of that record called She Ain't No Fluffer. In the show, we discuss that song a little bit in, uh, in some detail um, and the significance of it. So stick around and stay tuned for that. Otherwise, uh, all I have to say is uh, it was a great conversation. Uh, it was a great opportunity to meet these members of the band, The Handcuffs, from Chicago. Uh, I look forward to running into them at some point in the future. Not sure exactly when and where that will be, but uh, I am, will definitely be looking forward to it and uh, be looking out for them. And you can do the same. Uh, by all means, go to their website. Just go into the show notes, and there will be links to their website, which can connect you to all of their social media accounts, their Bandcamp account, uh, so that you can buy the new record, Burn the Rails, which is currently available in digital and CD formats. And the vinyl is coming. There will be a gatefold vinyl release, and uh, due to, you know... Um, Production delays. Uh, we do not have a date for the release of the vinyl, but uh, if you connect with them and follow them on their social media accounts, uh, I'm sure that you will hear all about it when it's ready or when it will be available for sale. If you'd like to know more about our show and uh, help us out here, learn ways to support us, uh, I would encourage you guys to go to uh, psychicstatic.net. Otherwise, you can all do all the other things you do with the internet, is what we ask here. Like, share, subscribe, comment, rate, review, all that happy horse shit. It helps us out, and we uh, thank you very much for it. And now, enjoy the show. Hey, Jeff. Hello. So how are you doing? Um, I'm doing well. How are you? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Um, let me see if I can get this straight. Uh, Jeffrey Kamisiak? Kim- Kamisiak. Kamisiak. Ha- has to roll off the tongue a little easier. Kamisiak. Yeah. And you're, you're the guitar player. Uh, yes. Yes. Lead guitar and the handcuffs. When did you join the band? It's a very good question. I want to say it was 2017. It sounds right. Yeah. <sighs> Chloe and Brad might know better than me. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sorry oh, that we're late. Oh, oh hey, that's okay. Yeah, it's we a, um had some technical difficulties. Yeah, the Uber driver. The Uber yeah. driver was late. God. What? Yeah. <laughs> that's quite all right. 
That's that, Jeff. How much of a Brad joke is that? It's perfect. Perfect. He he rubs off on you, I guess. Kind of can't help it. Uh oh. Now the cat is wanting to join in. I don't know if you can hear her, but I hear a little meow. Sure. (laughs) It was not me. It was not my tummy. That was the cat. Um, (laughs) That's quite all right. I'm okay with cats. Hey, are you Jimmy? Yes. Hi. Hey, I'm Chloe. That's Brad. Nice to meet you guys. Oh, I don't know where he is in your screen, but he's below us. He's in the center of my screen over here. There's uh, okay. The camera will just pan to whoever is making the most noise. There was a question uh, before you guys. Like, I was trying to remember when I joined the handcuffs, and I want to say it was like towards the end of 2017. Is that correct? Because I'm not sure. It was pre-pandemic. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Our Perfect. life is pre-pandemic, <laughs> post-pandemic. Sometime yeah. pre-pandemic. Or it post was, Gettysburg Address. It was sometime in the 2020s, in the 20, in the 2000s, or whatever. I don't know if I'm even in the millennial, millennia. Yeah, millennium. it's all it's all too hard I to tell. I want to say COVID destroyed all time. You know, the handcuffs are timeless, really. I want to say 2017, maybe, but let's it's just say that. Right. Yeah, I, let's just say yeah. How I long know, have we been it, playing Gretches? <laughs> it's like I'm kind of like trying to figure out like. Yeah. When we got that, when we, well, I got my Gretches first, but I got mine first. All right. Um, oh, sorry, are you Jimmy. Big, are you big on Gretches? Gretches yeah. Guitars? Yeah. We both. I, and I, I never was until, well, I mean, I got one for free after joining the band. I mean, you know, like, um, well, you can't beat that. Well, I was like a Gretch endorsed, whatever, you know, I was in their catalog. And then the head, you're in the fold at the center. I was fold. in this. I was kind of a centerfold, um, <laughs> oh, but wow. not naked. Not naked. I was fully very clothed. Yeah. Um, so, but so um, <laughs> but the head of Gretsch, uh, who has re- since retired, sent everybody in the band Gretches uh, when Jeff joined. Just sort of, it's a bit. Of, it was a bit of a fluke. Not Brad. Not you. I was going to say, like, not even the drummer. Everyone got no. one. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody who played, actually, the the uh, keyboard player also did not get a Gretsch because oh, okay. they don't make keyboards now. But um, so you know, if they would have players, right? If they would have sent Brad or Allison Gretsch guitars, Jeff and I would have snatched them anyway. So <laughs> no, but um, so anyway, we got more Gretsch. So it's just a weird fluke. But anyway, so then Gret- uh, Jeff kind of fell in love with Gretsch's. Um, I did I love the sound? I mean, I would always and he bought like another great. one. Yeah, I bought another like one last recently. year. Yeah. yeah. Last year, wow, yeah, wasn't that like two weeks? We are super yeah. exciting, uh, apparently. <laughs> you are my my computer can't control itself. It can't tell who to pan to next. Uh-oh. There's so much action going on here. Oh, that's quite all right. Um, so yeah, the handcuffs. Tell me a little bit about the band, um, because I'm assuming it was uh, Brad and Chloe, correct, that started this band. Yes, we started the band. Um, yeah. Four it was- albums ago. Yeah, it was sort of as like a we had sort of come from the ashes of a previous band that we had had, and we sort of wanted to evolve and do different things. Hmm. And Big hello? Uh, yeah, those? exactly. And yeah. um, and we didn't really intend. We just intended to to sort of do a recording project and really just experiment and do some different things. Not that it was you know crazy. Not that you know we were mothers of invention or anything, but um. And it just turned out really well. And we liked the direction. And then we decided we sort of missed playing. Uh, And so we decided to put a live band together. And 
now it's all this four albums later with an amazing live band that includes our amazing lead guitarist, Jeffrey, who has joined us tonight. There you are, Jeffrey. <laughs> Hi, Jeff. Uh, you have to speak or the camera will not come to you. <laughs> that I was here, I guess. Yeah. Oh, right. He just went harumph. Harumph. Mm-hmm. And so uh, okay. let's see when, um, I guess this is the question I was getting at with Jeff was like, uh, Jeff, how long have you been playing guitar? Oh, me? Yeah. Oh, I, I started playing guitar when I was 11. Oh, okay. So that was and- 20, 2010. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds about right. And you never learned anything other than that? Like, it was always. No, I guitar? played clarinet prior to that. Oh, okay. I, started really? playing, I, I, I started playing clarinet and band. And then, I don't know, it was just a kind of strange thing that happened, really. Like, I never really intended on picking up the guitar, which is kind of strange thinking back. And I like, it's actually a pretty funny story. Like I went to, uh, my mom took me to the, the music store. I'm from Maryland originally. So she took me to the, the music store cause I wanted to buy some uh, blank uh, manuscript music. Cause I was going to start a band with my clarinet. Like I was just like, I was going to start a band like me playing clarinet and a violin player friend of mine and maybe someone else. And then there was this, box of like slightly damaged electric electric guitars like for 60 bucks and i grabbed one and i asked my mom if i if she would buy for me and she said yes and yeah and that is why he is not a rock and roll clarinetist that's very true yeah but yeah i mean it's weird because like like six months later i was i i learned how to play stairway to heaven and played it with a drummer at the talent show um without a singer but Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah i mean uh very much very much like classic rock had a big influence on me but i mean it's how i learned how to play guitar so yeah 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 so i was sure that was the uh, the, the lead-up or, or the follow-up was um you know what what inspired you to learn how to play guitar uh you know going from clarinet i mean were you already into like you were already into classic rock music you're saying well yeah i mean my my dad listened to um the Beatles and um, Chicago. He was a big Chicago fan. And mm. uh, yeah, I, I just remember like he- hearing Chicago's greatest hits and hearing 25 or six to four and listening to that fucking guitar and just like, Oh my God, like that's so incredible. Like Terry Kath. Yeah. I just like, and we actually had like, he had in a God of on vital, which to this day, I don't understand like how it like with the rest of his lecture uh, record collection, it didn't really, make a lot of sense to me but like that also like i like i really like like kind of like zoned in on like like all this sort of rock stuff um yeah Hmm. so i mean yeah i you know then i started just buying music oh weird so it was like um so you you asking your mom to buy you a 60 dollar busted up guitar was kind of because you were already turned on to music you kind of wanted to learn how to play guitar but you just didn't have one yet yeah, I just didn't. I, I didn't know I could do it. I yeah. had no idea. If you can play I mean, clarinet, I imagine you can play guitar. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's really strange because like like I mean, I, I remember like at first I was just like a, a, just this weird kid, and I was like when I first got it, I just like I wanted the the tuning pegs to line up perfectly, and I just like <laughs> play it like that, and I was like this isn't right, but you know like you know stupid. 
stupid stuff like that, you know, just like, and then I just, you know, I caught on and I, you know, just like started learning, learning, you know, I, I, you know, I already could read sheet music, but I mean, I primarily learned by ear and by like guitar tabs. So, I mean, um, yeah, I just, I don't know for whatever it, reason it just like clicked. It like just started working. Um, yeah. Okay. I never, and I never looked back. But basically yeah. you passed up your chance to revive and have like a Benny Goodman quartet rock version. True, <laughs> right. true. The rock yes. version of the Benny Goodman quartet. Never too late. Come or uh, or Mr. Ackerbilk. Well, right. I mean, Andy Mac- speaking of clarinet, it's not quite clarinet, but Andy Mackay, who plays sax on a lot of Mata Hoople stuff, and he's the rock Roxy music plays oboe, rock and roll oboe. So it's not that out of the question. It's okay. not that it's not that it's impossible, it's just no. not common. Right. So um Chloe and Brad, a little bit about your musical history. Where where did you start and at what age? Oh boy. Um I'll talk because why not? Um, I started out as a sax player, um, as a sax nerd, and I still love it. It's still my best instrument, I think. Um, And I always, I know, Will, this this should be a segue to talking about Bowie, but um, when I found out that Bowie was a sax player turned guitar player, kind of freaked me out as a kid. Um, Mm. And a lot, and some of my other favorite artists, uh, like PJ Harvey, um, was a sax player turned guitar player. Um, so that was where I started from. Not quite clarinet, um, but I, I, I actually can play clarinet as well. I can play all the woodwinds, but sax was my main thing. I was really into jazz, um, still am. But I kind of, I kind of found rock music from my, like my older siblings and my parents to some extent, who really liked things like the Beatles and everything under the sun that was rock, uh, rock oriented. And I kind of fell in love with it. And then I also was like, Oh, there's a lot of saxophones in rock music also. So kind of got into it. And then first I started writing songs and was writing them on piano. And I decided that uh, guitar was so much more a rock and roll instrument. I should probably learn how to play guitar. So I sort of taught myself and took a few lessons here and there. And the teacher was always like, just play the chords, how you feel like they are, should be played and are comfortable, which was really great advice actually. Cause yeah. I have, I have a funny way of doing <laughs> Jeff, you know, when I'm on the right fret. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, I sort of evolved from sax to guitar, but have very um, was very much inspired by people like Bowie because of that. Because when I found out, he sort of was on the same trajectory as I was. It mm. made me happy. Yeah. Um, that said, I'm, it's not that exciting for me. Um, take it away, Dan. Brad, on the other hand, has a <laughs> extensive story. Is that true, Brad? Well, it's possible. You know, I grew up in a uh, self-taught uh, household of music music around me everybody just kind of mom my mom came from that era and uh and my older brother had guitar around uh, acoustic originally and uh, I kind of fooled around on that a little bit and, and I didn't really care for it so one day I I took a box of his guitars and sold them for like 60 bucks each <laughs> <laughs> sorry all the way around the block 
and man. then and then I uh, I wanted to play something, and uh, but George Harrison hadn't written that one yet. And you just so, sold all those guitars. So what else could you play? <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, uh, I said I wanted to play something, and uh, long story short, I ended up with a drum that I uh, mowed yards and uh, uh, groomed dogs and whatever it takes uh, to pay Earned for money. <clears throat> and uh, right. I just played along the records and I became a drummer and uh, always wanted to be involved in music. And uh, then I started hearing songs in my head all the time. And uh, I started uh, writing down lyrics and I kept hearing these music. And then I would hear completed songs in my head and uh, that's how I first started realizing like original completed songs, not other people's completed no, songs. No, other right? people. <laughs> and then um, I realized I should write songs and, uh, or I could write songs like, Oh, that's kind of fun. So that's how I started doing all that. So, uh, and that was back in 1905. <laughs> Ooh, wow. What kind of, what kind of trap kit was that in 1905? It was, uh, <laughs> uh, well, you know, there was no plug-in. Yeah. Uh, no, I just had, you know, well, I, my first, I thought I should teach myself at some point at 11 years old, uh, 12, by the time I was like 12 or so, 13, I said, oh, I should uh, find someone to follow a mentor drum wise, because uh, I was always playing along the records uh, back in the day. And uh, uh, there was a single by a, a band called The Who. And um, it's called uh, I Can Never See Heard Fruit. of Them. Yeah, yeah. they're working on it. And uh, I Can See Fruit. I, they have a lot of farewell tours. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> but uh, I Can See for Miles. Anyway, I was like, wow, I've never heard drumming like that. It was like stood out to me and I related to it. I wonder who that is. And uh, <clears throat> I found out that the drummer's name was Keith Moon. And uh, I started following everything and any magazine or anything I could uh consume and uh so i just followed that so he was my uh, first drum hero i guess mm. that uh, i should follow from so uh i did that for a number of years of course there's a lot of other drummers and guitar players and comedians that inspired me along the way oh yeah i bet um speaking of, uh, of vinyl records i heard you mention uh i know that you are a big collector yes you kind of have a, a pretty extensive collection at this point, correct? Yes. So uh, what was your relationship with vinyl records? I mean, obviously that was the only format when you were growing up. <clears throat> I think for, for younger people like myself, like I'm, in, I'm 42, I didn't really have vinyl records growing up. So uh, what is your relationship with them like now? We're married. Uh, we're, <laughs> Hi, I'm we're married now. We went steady. <laughs> we went steady for a number of years. Um, Oh gosh, I don't know. I just grew up with them, and uh, and you know when you talk to someone about vinyl, especially uh, someone that was around it back, they always say, "Oh, this is so different. You can hold the cover and you can study it and look at it, and you feel like part of it, and it was your thing." You know, it's like this is mine. Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, to this day, if you go to a lot of uh, thrift shops or if you find a used record somewhere, you'll see someone's name on it. Oh, they oh, almost yeah. always wrote their name on it because this is mine. Right, right. Like, uh, and uh, anyway, I just love all of that, and uh, and it brings back a lot of memories, and it makes me feel good. So, and they sound great. Yeah, I mean, collect. That's records. why. That's why the kids today are starting to collect vinyl because they're thinking this would be my original one, and look how nice shape it is. It's so wonderful. Yeah, 
That does look nice. Is that a U.S. pressing, I imagine, right? Yes. Cool. Back yeah. from uh, 71 when it was released? Oh, yes, something like that. Yeah. Cool. That's great. That's a mm-hmm. pretty valuable record. I mean, not crazy valuable. Like some of them get stupid, but right. all, Bowie, all Bowie is so, so expensive yeah. these days, like especially the original pressings. Yeah. And uh, and early on, one of my, actually my one of my first, uh, the first real band that really kind of, I took a step of the lead uh, person of that band turned us all on to David Bowie uh, early on. So I thank him for that. And uh, before that, I was, you know, just besides the Beatles and the Stones and the Who and, the Who and all the that. Trifecta, stuff, the trifecta, the British you know, invasion all trifecta. The 60s bands. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that, you know, as I became a, a young teen, I needed more angst and I was listening to more heavier, harder, anything. It was loud and riffy and, and, uh, but anyway, he turned us on to Bowie around that time. And uh, it was like, it's kind of a combination of both, you know? Yeah. Sure. And uh, uh, rock, it had some rock and roll, but at the same time, there's some kind of almost Beatles like things to it. And so. I'm just going to interject his, just do a very abridged version. He's also gone through like a couple of major label deals with bands um, in the like, late seventies and the eighties where mm-hmm. they did, you know, tours and arena tours and played with everybody. And um, right. so he's got a pretty great history that one day people can read about in the book he wrote during the pandemic. So, yeah. but yeah, oh, his yeah. history is, I mean, and it's been great because he also was able to just evolve very smoothly into the, the DIY era um, of, you know, doing things a little differently than from the heady days of the, you know, A&R people and rock, you know, big, big major labels and right. tour buses and all that stuff. And um, maybe, and uh, yes, I wrote a book and it's, it's close to being edited now and all finished, that, yeah. but uh, it's just oh, yeah. over the years, everybody's like, Oh, you got to write a book. You know, every time I tell some story, some, and then Chloe, will go, I didn't know you did that or you met that person. And, and uh, going back to the guy that turned us on to Bowie, uh, we got tickets to go see David Bowie. Long story short, we saw two nights. And uh, is this? You, are you talking about you, not we? Uh, no. Well, okay. this is. I don't know. You, if you and were, yeah, you were. You and somebody else. Asking. Well, no, I just didn't because we did see Bowie together. But right. I was like, what do you? We didn't do two nights. So but I this was know. like oh. you know, early seventies type thing. And uh, we ended up me and one of the other young band members. We were still in our teens, and uh, we ended up meeting David Bowie and hanging out in a room and talking talking to him and yeah i think i read an article actually about uh one of your older bands i don't know if it was the elder eldest brothers or not or screams probably uh opened up for devo at the yeah that was screams yeah max knitting yeah max's it was yeah and david bowie was there yeah like he was he introduced introduced devo right yeah i kind of met him yeah because they didn't know each other no um i had i met bowie also (laughs) Briefly that evening, anyway, when he walked off, uh, the lead singer and I were like, "Oh, here he comes!" He's like, "Hey, David!" He's like, right, "We just shook his hand, you know." Yeah, hey, very wait, nice guy. I met you like four years ago. No, it's good. Yeah, he's fine. Actually, there are some uh, pictures I saw uh, not too long ago, and they're always all by Bob Gruen uh, in New York City, and okay. <clears throat> it was upstairs at Max's, which is just this crappy hallway room and there's a picture of david bowie like ah laughing talking to the devil guys and 
I'm like, I could have been in that. I was like literally standing like three feet away from that watch. And I'm like, I'm mm-hmm. like I remember that. So it was, it was kind of funny, but I always miss everything by this much. So, yeah, that's all right. But, uh, but you got to meet him. That's actually very cool. I mean, he's uh, such an icon and, and, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately now he's, he's gone. So it's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, any, any moments that you had with him uh, that anyone may have had with him is, you know, probably to be cherished really. Um, it is. Yeah. So speaking of this record, so uh, we might as well go ahead and get into that. Um, now, three of you are three of you uh, members of the handcuffs are here tonight, and I guess you all collectively chose this record. Is that how that was, so this worked, or or what is what is the significance of David Bowie's Hunky Dory to the three of you? We all sort of chose it. Um, it chose us, really. Yeah. Okay. Um, we all really like it. It it's interesting because this Cheers. record it's one of my favorite Bowie. I mean, I can't say it's my favorite, but it's it is. But I have other that are equally it's like picking a favorite Beatle, right? Album. So, but um, but it's interesting because this record in particular, and I know Jeff and I discussed this a couple of days ago, how much we love this record, but that it's for especially for like a guitar player, even though Rano is amazing when he's on it, this is not like a guitar heavy shredding heavy record. No, but the fact that we all, that we really appreciate it and that Jeff especially really appreciates it and really loves it, I think is a testament to sonically what a great record is and how great the songs are and how great the arrangements are and how great the production is. Um, because it's something that you wouldn't think of as like a lead guitar picking as his favorite Bowie record, you know, um, sure. even though, even though every yeah. time Rano comes in, it's just magic, There's no big you know, rock out guitar thing, but actually, uh, I don't know what the word would be ironically or whatever, but, uh, one of the most screaming guitar things that he does is on one of the more quieter songs on yeah, the album, which is life on Mars. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's true. Yeah. yeah i think um you know yeah i'm not sure exactly why i mean I, I don't know if it was a timing thing for me or something just like it really grabbed me uh which in a way that i will get to probably later but like just like speaking of mick ronson's like i just think his uh his tastefulness his being so selective and creative Mm -hmm. like i think i think that's why this album has probably influenced me a lot more than like anything else actually if i think about it Mm. because it's like it really is like one of those things where it's like yeah he's doing what the song needs and you know it's like you don't need anything else Uh, right especially you know to, to create a mood especially like an album mood it's like it would be i mean it like yeah i mean of course you could blaze you know like he does on ziggy but like it wouldn't make sense in that context so you know. yeah you gotta you gotta serve the song and and i think that's an excellent point because uh i wasn't really listening to to mick ronson's performance on this record so much only because everything else like the most of the piano work sticks out so much <sighs> no kidding and yeah. you know it's, it's an example of as far as you know we'll we'll get to the other stuff obviously but with rano it's an example of like what you don't play is just as important as what you do play 
Absolutely. Um, and of yeah. course, because he arranged most of these songs, he was sort of the arranger. And I think he probably did a little production uh, it, it, in this record too, even though he didn't technically get production credit because it sounds like things he did and he does. Mm -hmm. um, well, he definitely I, got the credit for the string arrangements. Yeah, for sure. And also I just think maybe arranging some of the songs for Bowie so that they were, I don't know, maybe better songs or something. Um, but, yeah, but possibly. He, 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 again, he played in a way an arranger and possibly co-producer would play so that it wasn't for him personally it was for the song um mm. i mean i'm a huge rano fan like he's my favorite deceased guitar player um so anything he does whether he's playing guitar or doing string arrangements or playing piano is uh a-okay with me well yeah. he he and uh mick ronson and tony visconti pretty much arranged and put together man who sold the world for Bowie, from what right. I've read, from what yep. I've read, they uh, where they actually complained that Bowie was like, "Who is this guy?" Because they, they they'd never met him before, and he and uh, I, he said, "Yeah, I got these bits of songs, and I have these songs," and they were like, we "We're like putting these songs together for the guy," and he's out in the lobby with his new girlfriend, Bowie. Um, yeah. yeah, Bowie, you know, right. and uh, and uh, and I think since they came from such a rock. Uh, whatever they were doing at the time, Mick Ronson and that. I think that was Bowie's like, you know, I don't know a whole heck of a lot about this hard rocking kind of stuff because he had come from almost kind of a Donovan acoustic -y thing. Yeah, very and, folk uh, background. And he was always in competition with Mark Bolin, who had just put out uh, Electric Warrior. Mm. So it was oh, like, yeah. so, so I think he kind of had them. Yeah, do whatever, you know, and that album really rocks. It's like a yeah. rock band, you yeah. know, and it's like jamming out and it's just man who's totally are you talking about Electric Warrior or Man Who Sold the World? Uh Man Who Sold right. the World. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. And, uh, and then then so the next album, you know, so yeah. Huh. Uh it's uh they I'm sure they had a bit to do with it. So Yeah, yeah. No, well, uh let me yeah. let me just ask you a question. Um Chloe, you were mentioning how you assumed that <clears throat> Mick Ronson probably had had been doing some kind of production or at least like helping with some arrangement of songs. Um, it led me to wonder, uh, what is it like? Because I because as a songwriter, like I, I have written some songs myself, although mm -hmm. I don't it's not my my strong suit. Um, and I know that I've definitely brought songs in completely fully formed. And I know mm -hmm. that Bowie has done that as well. But of course, in the event that there is like a songwriter, like I was also playing in a band where there was a primary songwriter and he would bring in his songs, which were essentially, you know, a few different chord changes and then like, you know, a few verses, maybe the chorus. But I remember it was specifically me as a bass player and then the drummer that kind of fleshed out the songs as a group. And we right. really kind of all of us like kind of arranged those songs. Um, so what is it like with the handcuffs? Uh <laughs> As far as like arrangement, like, like writing writing songs, who brings the songs in, who writes the songs, and then like how do they get get arranged? Brad is the primary songwriter, the drummer. I know arranger. <laughs> He's a little bit of a freak uh, songwriter. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, Brad and I are the songwriters primarily. 
but everybody brings in their just for the handcuffs because that's just the way it worked out and it was like our band that we started and everybody seems to like the songs but um everybody brings in cool shit are we allowed to swear on this podcast no i have to cut that out now no it's absolutely fine you can say whatever you want (laughs) say whatever the fuck you want it's great okay oh yeah so um (laughs) so i mean we need a whole other podcast to to talk about the way brad write songs and brings them in because he's it's very um i don't know sort of idiot savant like without the idiot part but well, he's cause, cause he, brad doesn't play an instrument like a stringed instrument like a guitar no he bass. doesn't really play any other instruments although he can kind of pick things up and he did a piano solo on one of on our one of our la- previous albums what <laughs> and it's so good. And he doesn't even know what notes he was playing or what key the song was really in. Oh, okay. And it was the first take and the producer, and this is before Jeff joined the band. So pre, you know, 1976, but um, he, so he, on piano, like, right. And you've written songs on piano. Yeah. yeah, and, Right. Uh, but, um, friends, you know, he would, Brad would, he did the piano solo while we were recording. It was like one take and he's like, let me do another one. And the producer are like, no, <laughs> don't do another one. That one was perfect. He did another one, but we ended up using the first one. So he's the, pri- I mean, but, but we b- both bring songs in, but Brad is so prolific. Um, but we sort of collaborated a lot, um, Brad and I, as far as the songwriters on this record, but then we have people like Jeff who will play an amazing Jimmy Page, like, you know, guitar solo or Robert Fripp kind of guitar solo or put some cool or Jeff or Jeff, Jeffrey Kamisiak. No, he'll, or some cool rhythmy thing. So yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a group effort as far as just like the compositions they come into the band, pretty much fully formed. Um, yeah. And again, he... Although we have done things in the studio where we've made a mistake and we've made that part of the song. So that does happen. Yeah, Jeff sure. and actually the whole band's really great at playing, like we were saying with Mick Ronson, you were saying Jeff, whatever, to really fit the song, you know? Hmm. I see. Oh. Okay. Um, so let's see. Uh, maybe we should go ahead and try to get into this record. Before, actually, before we get into this record, let me just ask you each each of you, uh, what when was the first time you heard this record? Yesterday. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that made a, quite an impression. It's like oh, yesterday, oh. and it was like, <sighs> what? Who is this David Bowie? I don't know. Um, yeah. Bowie. I have no idea when I heard it. I probably heard it from one of my older siblings um, and and I probably looked at the record because I'm sure we had it on vinyl as a family. And I looked at the record and was like probably like looking at the cover photo going like, oh, like looking at it just like what a what a pretty woman. No, like I loved like, oh, this boy is so pretty and I want to meet him and maybe be him someday. So, yeah, that's probably how I thought of it. Okay. Don't touch my record. I know. And I don't know. I mean, Brad, you probably heard it in 71. Don't you ever touch my records again. What about Jeff? Um, I mean, I, you know, I sort of grew up like hearing Bowie here and there but i never it seriously wasn't until i moved to chicago that uh for whatever reason hunky dory i don't know it just kind of like it grabbed me 
And it like, I mean, for at least the first couple of years, it's like, it was on constant play. Like I'd have my disc man, you know, going to work. I always had, I always had hunky dory with me, like going, flying to see my family like always just like, I mean, it's just like something about it, like really just grabbed me. Um, like more so than any other Bowie record at the time uh, that I can think of. Or, okay. I mean, yeah. Anyway. And because you, you did know other Bowie records. It wasn't like this was, this was the first. No, no. I mean, it was just, but it was the first one that like, that I really, really, it, it just grabbed me. And I was, I was like, I just kept going back to it. Uh, like always uh, like, Okay. So, I get um, it. Yeah. About it. Yeah. You know, like, you know another, another question for all of you. Um, are there any s- tracks on this record that you don't like? No. Mm-mm. You like them all? Oh my god! Uh, even the weird last one. Even that stupid "Life on Mars" song. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I just wanted to to check because um, yeah. I, oh, I do I, have a tendency to skip a song or two here and there. <clears throat> and Jeff, how about you? Any any uh, least favorite tracks? Not, I mean, seriously, nothing I can think of. I mean, I think part, and what I was thinking about it too when I was revisiting it uh, over the past week was um, love. I just love like this, like I do lo- just like like the sequence of it, the way it it's all put together. It's brilliant. I mean, it's truly, it's a brilliant album, and it like. And yeah, the production is so amazing. Like, I mean, it, it it holds up so well to this day. Like, it is such a great album sonically and emotionally. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, there's just something about it that like, I, I don't know. I mean, and also hit me like at an age when I was like in a huge transition. And like, this is one of those albums that like kind of like, like fucking like saved my life. Hmm. So like, this is a big thing for me. Like, I mean, I, I would, it's weird. It's like, I don't think I would normally want to do something like this. Like if I didn't like really care about it, you know, yeah. I yeah. really, I feel this album, like it's a part of me. It's, you know, so. Sure. Sure. I can understand that. Absolutely. Um, it's a, it's a great and very powerful record. Um, we're going to go ahead and, uh, and start getting into it. All right. We're going to yeah. start off with the first song changes. So, uh, so changes. I mean, uh, great song, absolutely classic, um, timeless song that everybody loves. It's the even the last song Bowie ever played live on stage, right? Isn't that this one? Oh, not sure. Or was it? No, I think it was a song. Yeah, I That's... think of this. I think it was this one. Yeah, it was the last song he ever played. Uh, on stage back in 2016 was it before he wow, passed away wow that's hmm. pretty uh prophetic i don't know that's that's i mean i mean i think he knew he was probably yeah not long for this world but that's uh that's an actual that actually kind of gave me goosebumps to to find that out yeah yeah that's uh, and i'm pretty sure i'm correct when i say that that it was that song um so let's see changes according to biographer david buckley the phrase strange fascination 
not only embodies a continued quest for the new and the bizarre, but also carries with it the force of compulsion, the notion of having to change to stay afloat artistically. Uh, so what would you say is the biggest changes the band has been going through to get to this new record, Burn the Rails? Band members, probably. Like all the new band members. Or they're not us, new, but it's just like a new... This is the first time we felt like this is more of a band... Endeavor with yeah. the record. And yeah. our, our 13 albums before... No, our three <laughs> albums before. Uh, it was... A lot. I mean, we had a band, but it was kind of like Chloe and I were just there all the time. And, and uh, what we wanted to evolve into and ch- and change more of a group into thing um, was really solidified with this current lineup that we have, which is hopefully our forever lineup, our forever home. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and who are those members? We should, might as well mention them now while so, we're talking about it. Jeffrey Kamisiak is our lead guitarist, and he also does some background vocals. Um, Emily Togney is our bass guitar player and also does uh, background vocals. Allison Hinderleiter, our own Rick Wakeman. Uh, she's our keyboardist. Uh, and there's Chloe F. Orwell and Brad Elvis, who I am just the dumb lead singer and play rhythm guitar and saxophone on the record. And Brad's the drummer. So, cool. no, I'm just the drummer. You're just a- the drummer. When and so uh, I've listened to the new record because it just came out officially not too long ago. Like was it the third that yes. it came out? Okay, so I just listened to the whole record. Ian Hunter's birthday, by the way, who wasn't had an affiliation with David Bowie. So there you go. Ian Hunter, he's from Mott the Hoople, isn't yep. he? Mott the Hoople. Show me your T-shirt. Mott the Hoople. Okay. Oh, you're you're Mott the Hoople obsessed, right? Up, uh, yes. <laughs> no. that's, so why are that's we because <laughs> we're going to be doing that on another podcast but we also are bowie obsessed like super oh. bowie obsessed also mop the hoop i mean obsessed. bowie and mott mott are so to us they're like they're like an extended family for us i mean really don't you think okay. you guys it's yeah, like it the makes extent, sense. they're the extended family but so so burn the rails is the new record and um i like so aside from the band lineup i mean like uh even I think that the image of it, like the 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 artwork for the album, like uh, I haven't seen this on the gatefold and the vinyl because that's not out yet. But uh, I know that you guys are doing that. But like yes. all of it looks super sleek and cool and like like modern. What, what like is this going to be like the big one? Like like how much how much effort did you put into making this new record? A, a, I mean, a lot and a little. It was so easy in some ways because of the band and how much we all were on the same page and how much we all really like playing together. Um, But for me, it was the hardest record to make, but also my best record I've ever made. So Hmm. it's like one of those weird, um, you know, and part of that might be because of going through this shit show of the pandemic that's we're still kind of going through. Um, we sort of finished the record. We laid down the last overdub on the day before lockdown here in Chicago, or like the three days before lockdown. And then we started kind of remixing and doing mastering and in 2020 um, lockdown. Yeah. Cause yes. I know lockdowns have been kind of like happening. Yeah. The, one, the, the first time. lockdown. The first one. Okay. We, yeah. And so, um, So, I mean, it was hard. I don't know. It was a little hard to make because we also sort of really had this vision of what we wanted. Um, 
and some of the songs, well, I guess it's that way on all of our past records. There were songs that we had never played live. Yeah. And the band they just fell had into never it. really heard them yeah. before, except I, I or Chloe would show each other songs. Yeah. And, uh, but so it, that but was always a thing of, oh, where, where are we taking this? And everybody <laughs> you know, was... So that was amazing. Everybody was like willing to do whatever it took to get something really cool out of their part. Um, and it, so in that way, it was like easy, which is like it was, there was no, like, there was no drama in the studio. There was no like anybody getting frustrated with doing things. Um, you know, every once in a while, Jeff would, would like, we, we recorded it in an odd way too, because we would record, we recorded it at, the studio, which is this in this giant industrial building, like it's this big giant live room with all these other little rooms and this industrial area in Chicago and this giant building and rats, lots of rats. Probably there might be, but oh, we did it really. No, quick. but it's this beautiful studio. No. And then we also did overdubs like at our house um, because the producer engineer said, you know, you've got some kind of cool rooms in your house, and I'd like to try to do some different things for with over with doing some overdubs um and so we did that and i'm normally skeptical with that stuff um i think i'm like i'm like a total studio person but but it worked out really well it, and he and then jeff like would come over we'd put his amp in the laundry room and his he would be playing in like another room and it just there was this magical thing He'd that be happened. driving by in his car recording yeah. <laughs> brad will never ever let us get a straight answer in without having to make a joke that's, just that's just right. fyi um okay no problem we call him groucho but um but yeah so we we actually it ended up being very creative and very easy yet yet it was hard because of i think just trying to get a specific sound and our influences for this record were we were really really wanting to try to match what we heard and even put it you know but but put it through a modern lens you know mm -hmm. okay. i don't i don't know if that's explaining it well I'm well i mean i would encourage everyone to just go and listen to the record and you know you. hear it for themselves and because it's always hard to kind of explain what a record is and kind of like what it's doing or all, all that stuff you know you really need to just kind of hear it and we do I believe we wear, wear our influences on our sleeves. Um, and I think you will hear where our influences are. Not that we wanted to sound like these people, but who we were influenced by a lot yeah. in man many of these songs and the performances by all of the band members. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Well, I, I, I look forward to it on vinyl. Uh, I'm a vinyl enthusiast, so I, I oh, good. try to, I try to get those when I can. Um, uh, speaking of it, I just want to ask you really quickly. Um, I know you're doing a show at the end of the month, 25th, I think. Yes. Uh, it's, what is it? A Pravda showcase? Yep. It's a Prav It's Pravda Fest for their 38th anniversary for the oh, record label's okay. 38th anniversary. Great. Great. And are you, are you planning on doing any touring aside from that show coming up? Um, we don't have like national touring plans or sure. other city touring plans yet. Um, we're still sort of figuring out how the pandemic we've had, we had bad experiences with COVID. Uh, so oh, okay. we're trying to be a little careful and figure out what, how we want to handle things, but we'd sure, love to, sure. we'd like, if some, you know, we would love to 
do a tour. We would love to go out touring other places. Oh, okay. Um, well, cause I'm in Rhode Island. And so, you know, I mean, I'd like to see you we're at gonna, some point. We'd like to come out to Rhode Island and stay at your house. Oh, okay. Sure. No problem. Hang out with you. And <laughs> yeah, and, I've got, and I got a little, see your little, pets. I got a little no, jam room. I got two little cats, you know. Oh, they'll, they'll hide. They'll okay. Hide well done. They won't hide for, from us for long. <laughs> <laughs> we all love cats. Okay, great. Well, I would, I would be honored to have you. Uh, let's move on now to the next song. Oh, you pretty things. January 1972 interview with Melanie Maker, Bowie explains that we have created a new kind of person in a way. We have created a child who will be so exposed to media that he will be lost to his parents by age 12. Oh, how prophetic is that? That is like insanely prophetic. Yeah, um, I have two kids and one of them is 12 and he's been on his tablet all day. <laughs> um. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. And I, it's so funny because you I'm glad you said that. I'm sorry, you guys, that I'm talking so much. But, you know, I am kind of the loud mouth of the band. I am the lead singer. Yeah. Um, so it's funny because that song struck me particularly not even as what it's about, but it's pretty cool that you say that. I mean, I that song struck strikes me because of the production and like how like beatly like the drum sounds are and and how sort of beatly the production is where it's that warm in the like you're in the it's almost like that mono production it's not mono but like you're in the room with them and you're hearing them play that song in the room mm. um so so but i love that what you said that i guess what what oh you pretty things is about um well in a sense i mean it's i don't think it's what exactly what it's about but that's just a quote from bowie from yeah. uh, from an interview that he did which i just thought I was really interesting yeah uh, but, another another weird little interesting fact about this song that maybe you did or did not know. Um, David Bowie expert Nicholas Pegg told Q Magazine, this song began life with the title, I'd like a big girl with a couple of melons. <laughs> Wouldn't we all, really? Sure. I'd yeah. like a great big girl. Um, <laughs> that is... <laughs> did any of you know that? I didn't know that. No. But I know. <laughs> So like, are you sure that wasn't Spinal Tap? I know it seems like so Spinal Tap. I don't. Well, hey, yesterday was scrambled eggs, right? I mean, who knows? It's just right. uh, It's just the way that flowed off the at the moment, and then he worked into "Oh, you pretty things" as opposed to "I like a big girl with a couple of melons." Well, I guess he did have a good sense of humor. Yeah, from from what Adrian Blue told me one time, and I hate to drop names, but uh, Paul McCartney once told Paul McCartney told you you name drop too much. That's right. Um, (laughs) Oh, you pretty things! Also, being a vinyl (laughs) dork that I am, uh, and I actually own a copy is Peter Noon from Herman's Hermits. Uh, David Bowie must have liked a lot of people like Peter Noon. Not yeah. just, you know, you just think of, oh, really? It's like he was kind of respected at that. The Who opened for Herman's Hermits on one yeah. of the early tours. Wow. And they were like, was like, oh, yeah, Peter Newton, he's cool, you know, and oh. he, he's still around doing his thing. But anyway, I discovered there is a vinyl 45 only released in England of Oh, You Pretty Things with Peter Noon singing it. And it pretty yes. much sounds like it's- the same deal. And I looked up the date and it was actually pre 
But he sang it as I want a girl with a couple of big melons or whatever. Yeah, yeah. that's what he <laughs> said. Yeah. And uh, uh, it was released pre Hunky Dory just a little bit, which is interesting. Yeah. It's like, Bowie's yes. like, give, it's like, really? Yeah. Why would you give away this great song? It could be on your album. Because uh, Bowie wasn't successful. And uh, to, to give a song away that he knew would do yeah. well yeah. Uh, with Peter Noon's name on it, you know, um, he did help him record that song, though. Actually, uh, I did. I did find out that uh, he actually did perform uh, the piano on that recording, though it was a little oh. weird because he's not a proficient piano player. No. So uh, he actually had said, "I don't have the quote in front of me," but he uh, he had said something along the lines of, "It's like, oh, I can't play that song all the way through. It, 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 it's very tiring." Not like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, so they kind of looped it. They did a studio check where they he kind of just like yeah. played the first part uh, like through, and then they just kind of like cut and paste it, like kind of cut tape literally and just kind of spliced it into each other. Oh, yeah. 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 Ended it. Old, yeah. Old totally a, a Bowie ish, yeah. early Bowie ish production. And, uh, seems like he did it. Oh, he did another song, uh, which is a great song, which uh, could have been on hunky dory, uh, for all you people out there to look it up, look on YouTube. It's called right. Don mother. Madonna, which is a Peter Noon. It's, and it's a, but David it's a Bowie, Bowie song, song that yeah. Peter Noon, also oh, released yeah. to the 45. Yeah. It's a great oh. song. Yeah. It's just really cool song. So that's, yeah. that's okay. Story. Well, so, and because I'm glad I'm thankful that you mentioned that because I, I didn't want to get into that whole story, but, um, but this song, Oh, You Pretty Things. I mean, it's a, it's such a beautiful piano piece to it. Oh, yeah. And um, this is one of the highest moments I think on the album uh, also due in large part, obviously to the keys on this song. Um, mm-hmm. You guys uh, had a guest key player on your new album. Would you like to tell me about that? Um, so we had a guest piano player, Rick Wakeman. No, I'm kidding. That would have been cool. Um, our friend he wasn't available, huh? No, he was, but we just were like, yeah, you played on so much stuff and yeah. I don't know. We want someone different. <laughs> no. Um, so we, Morgan Fisher from Mata Hoople, um, who was in sort of the the 74 version of Mata Hoople, which is like one of the, the final the final album or two. Yeah, one of the most sort of famous versions of Mata Hoople. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had done, a, Mata Hoople did like a reunion tour and we went to see it in Chicago um, at the Chicago Theater, this big, beautiful concert theater. And um, it was spectacular and it's so hard to go see like a like a nostalgia tour or reunion tour because you don't know what it's going to be like but i it was it it was insane every single person in that theater we knew many of them <laughs> who went to the show um i don't know how many people the chicago theater holds but everybody was blown away because these guys could have been 25 years old and not you know in their 60s and 70s and um anyway so i wrote a silly review not a silly review. I wrote a review just for fun that I posted on socials and it kind of went viral. And then some publication picked it up and they actually paid me to run it. And I cleaned it up a little bit and, and expanded on it. And then Morgan Fisher saw it and he like posted it and was saying, this review is great. And then we became friends on like Facebook and. Well, like, he, um, yeah, I might be telling it wrong to set up the, interview it's you know chloe f orwell and she also had oh, a right. thing I called the handcuffs. they, they wrote who i what went in the publication oh, described okay. who i who i am and morgan saw that too and, and 
he when Looked he had posted band. something about oh this is a great this is a fantastic review by this by this uh by this little lady by this in tiny the little sax player and uh yeah. and uh, she has a, a she has a band i guess called the handcuffs and i looked them up and they're amazing you know and yeah. all this stuff and then so then so then we the, just became friends became on friends. socials he lives in japan and we oh. just became like fast friends. Like we'd known each other forever. And I mean, he is literally one of our heroes. So to meet a hero and have him just be like praising what you did for, you know, for him was pretty mind blowing. But then we just became friends and he's just like a, you know, like, like I always tell people he's like a favorite uncle or something. And then at the time. Yeah. But we were working on the new album. Yeah, we were, and we were working on the album that, at the time. And he said, "Oh, I see you're working on a new record. You know, I, I you play, want me to I play, play anything on it myself? You know." <laughs> and uh, but uh, he was like, uh, "Hey, if you guys, you know, need," and I play synthesizer. He was pushing the synthesizer, He's pushing synthesizer too, which we didn't know. I guess it's funny because a lot of the, even our, including our keyboard player, Allison. they're amazing piano players like you know like rick wakeman on this on this you know record you would never think that he became rick wakeman of yes with all that synth and stuff um Mm. so but anyway morgan is a great piano player but also a great synth player and he um we talked about it with allison our keyboardist and i think we talked about it with the rest of the band too but she helped us decide which songs to send his way since she's the uh the first chair keyboard section of our band. Mm-hmm. So, um, and she helped us figure out some songs that she thought it would be cool to have an additional keyboardist on. And, um, and the rest is history. The songs came back. He did, Brad was out touring with another band during the, uh, with the romantics at the time. And I got them first and by e- email. And I was really nervous about listening to what he did. And I heard him and I just, Remember, I was just by myself at home, just laughing because they were so good and fit the songs and he really got it. And, um, you know, we told him like Mata Hoople was a huge influence for us for this record. In addition to we even said like some Bowie stuff, um, some I don't even remember what else we told him, what were influences and he he got it. And mm-hmm. yeah, oh, so, yeah, so that that was that. Cool. That sounds great. And uh, like, what songs is is he performing on? He plays a amazing piano on um, uh, "I'm Happy Just to Dream with You." No, oh yeah, that's the name of it. Sorry, I apologize. And then synthesizers, amazing, cool synthesizers, string parts, and things on a uh, song called "She Ain't No Fluffer," and uh, which was going to be called "We Want a Woman with." Three melons, but she ain't no fluffer was better. Yeah. And then um it works. Uh <laughs> it lost my train of thought. I'm I keep sorry. thinking of these melons. No, um, and actually just today, uh our record label Pravda uh officially released our uh our third video for our new album uh, of She Ain't No Fluffer, which is a special guest appearance in the video. By Morgan Fisher. The one and only Morgan Fisher. And, um, and of course. The lights being what they are. And he's on the track. The lights being what they are. And uh, he's on the track as well. So uh, you can find that on YouTube or something. But he would also, 
your nearest drive. I don't theater. think the band we zoom with Morgan a lot. Brad and I just zoom with him. It's a, we have to always plan it because the time, you know, they're like 15 hours ahead, 15 oh, yeah. hours in the future in Japan. Yeah. I don't remember yeah. if the band has ever met him uh, via zoom or whatever, but he, we're going to do that one day soon because he is so much like us. He really is like the sixth member. <laughs> he is so, he doesn't, I mean, we hit it off so immediately with him. Like yeah. I could totally see Jeff and Morgan t- talking about so- like immediately hitting it off with things, you know, or any of the, any of yeah. the band, the other two members too. Um, so, so you think he's going to leave Mott for you guys? Yeah, I'm sure he's going to do that. Yeah, I bet. Oh yeah. That's funny. Brad's showing me. A, he just messaged us on, just on Facebook to say, is he hearing us right now? Is he on the zoom too? Where, where Maybe <laughs> he's, well, he's always somewhere. Yeah. He's going to leave Mott for us. But yeah, that's cool. Because mm-hmm. you know, we're so much more like popular. And Morgan also, he uh, he did a live stint with Queen, and uh, he was in British Lions, and he was also in a band in the '60s called The Love Affair. And they did a song that was actually on that movie Belfast, that big Academy Award oh nominated yeah. film. Kenneth Branagh, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And oh, so okay. their version of the song, I don't even remember what the song is called, but it's a popular song. And I'm, yeah, it was a, I, a big hit over I'm, and... you're making me very nervous, Jimmy. So I can't remember the name. I'm kidding. Oh, I'm um, you nervous? What? No, 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 no. Um, so like this kind of voice, what am I doing? That's <laughs> <laughs> it. All that next question. Jeff is all answering. that melon talk. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, you know what? I don't have a next question. Scared. Okay. You don't. Okay. Well, I, I, I'm because the next song is eight line poems. Of you, mobile spins to its collision. Here I put her head between oars. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, for this song, it's a uh, it's a little it, it was tricky for me. Um, I mean, it's just that it's it's literally a song with eight lines and the yeah. for the lyrics. And uh, the only really thing, the only thing I really have to say uh, about this song is that it's perfect at tying uh, the end of "Oh You Pretty Things" into the beginning of "Life on Mars." I think it's a great transition song. I agree with that. Yeah, and it's I a mean, stream of consciousness, which I think is a really good transition from "Pretty Things" to "Life on Mars." Um, right, but even even like musically, I, I yeah. I'm pretty sure that this begins on the same exact note that oh you pretty things ends on ah. and then ends on the first note that life on mars starts with yeah doing as anthony newley all right, all right. yeah and, and there's but, that that twangy sparse I guitar oh, i know right so jeff good. so good i can hear it right now like and that just- that super mellowy kind of guitar <laughs> yeah. cool guitar stuff yeah we were just jeff and i were just saying like it's it's twangy though it's like got yeah. a twang it's got a little bit of a country feel to it and it's very sparse, kind of like what you were saying earlier, Jeff, yeah, about the, exactly. the, yeah. And, and also, I mean, God damn, that tone, that guitar tone is just <sighs> like, it's like, I mean, it just, it sonically, it's just like, it, it's just so perfect. It really is like, I'm just like it, it. Yeah. Every time it comes in, I'm just like, wow. Like, all right. That's playing what for the out. song. And that's what he did. Like he probably didn't have a second thought about it. No, yeah. it's I. I almost kind of vision. Yeah. You, you can almost like see him both sitting there, and he's just playing off of Bowie's vocals. And even the the guitar sounds. It's really quiet. 
but he's doing that Rano, those Rano, Rano uh, bending notes yeah. that he does. But it's just like this quiet little, like he's just like watching Bowie as he's singing it. And like, I don't know if he was, but that's how I picture, you know, he's playing off the vocal lines. I could, I, I really want to believe he was watching Bowie while he played those, because I think that seems like the kind of thing he would do. Yeah. Yeah. It has that feel of like, I don't know where you're going, but I'm just going to kind of answer, do a little answer lines on this guitar kind of quietly because it's a quiet song, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I could see that. I could see all of those uh, situations. Um, Let's see. The one, the one thing about this song that's weird. uh, There's a, there's a quote that uh, David Bowie, uh, included with the press release for this album and where he just says that uh, in regards to this song, the the city is a kind of high life war on the backside of the prairie. Perfect. <laughs> sure. Also, <laughs> like, what a poet. <laughs> just, I don't even have anything to say. Yeah. He knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I guess it speaks a little bit to the to. The idea that it's a little a bit of a country yeah, song. Car. It's got yeah. a little bit of a country feel. And then lyrically speaking, it's. Um, but I it, feel like it's not American country. It does. It's no, twangy. It's no. like a like a like whole like it's a whole country song is like which is where Rana was from. But um, it's mm. got like a. Almost like a working class English country kind of thing. You know what I mean? With Anthony Newley. Yeah. 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 Um, Approach to the yeah. vocals. Huh. Yeah, I but even so. the things he says about his songs kind of piss me off because they're so poetic, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> such a good wordsmith. Yeah, he's just one of those guys can't he just can't do any wrong. No. Yeah. Um. <sighs> all right. Well, speaking of uh, yeah, just beautiful words. Well, let's move on to the next song, "Life on Mars." Stupid song. <laughs> it's the worst. This one blows. <laughs> Aliens, whatever. <laughs> But her friend is nowhere to be seen Now she walks through her sunken dream To the seat with the clearest view And she's hooked to the silver screen But the film is a sad thing for Yeah, this is one this is one of those songs that just like still to this day when I hear the piano come in and it just like it it goes straight into my soul i feel like it just like it still affects me in the same way every time i hear it hmm. and lyrically it is more on point than ever and it will always be on point as long as there are assholes in the universe yeah i i agree with that um yeah. i also feel like and this might be totally uh out of left field but i hear like this sort of feminine influence in this song with bowie's vocals and i don't know if it has something to do with like the idea of the song and he wanted to sort of sound maybe alien or opposite sex or 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 non-binary or something um Mm. again he was pretty ahead of his time so um maybe he wanted to be sort of non-binary but I almost hear like 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 Lulu or Scylla Black influence in the way he's crooning this song. Hmm. Um, That's possible. And, and I love that. I love them as singers. I, Scylla Black and Lulu both are just amazing singers. And they were real. They were they were 
they, you know, a lot of people think of them as sort of like, you know, like English pop kind of ballady singers, but they kind of had an edge, those two ladies, um, hmm. or still do, I guess. I, I guess they're still around. Um, I don't know if Stella is. Um, yeah, I don't think Stella is, but Lulu's definitely still around. But they had this edge that I feel like, I feel like, I don't know, I, for me, I hear that and I can totally hear him trying to to imitate them in a we- I don't know why it is. Sure. I don't, I mean, there's no, there's no mm-hmm. rhyme or reason for why I think that, but when well, I hear it, I feel that there could be because I mean, uh, even the album cover alone, you know, is kind of like taking uh, inspiration from Greta Garbo. Yeah. You know, and so yeah. there could have been that. And then the song itself obviously deals with like this, this girl who uh, is being outcasted for whatever reason. Uh, don't know if it's like some kind of argument she's having with her parents, but they're basically shunning her and, you know, yeah. asking her to leave, which is horrible. Um, and then she ends up going to the movies in order to kind of like have some escape from this trauma she's facing. So, uh, yeah, a kind of cinematic uh, oh yeah, definitely. Very cinematic. Definitely. So that could have something to do with it. I mean, you could be on the right track. Track, and, and like he's narrating the story of her, maybe as a grown-up, her and trying to to capture the femininity of it, or the non-binaryism of it, or the you well, know, he's stepping into that character. Yeah, that's he's what stepping he does. into that character. Yeah, and and um, so that I mean, the song is everything about the song is perfection the the arrangement the strings are are perfection oh yeah there's like the 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 like the piano is i remember seeing rick wakeman interviewed and he talked about the piano part on this song and you could and he started playing it it was at a piano this was i don't even remember what was the was it the rano documentary or the bowie Bowie thing or something Mm. and he starts playing it and he just gets so into it and and kind of like like goes into this other world because exactly. it starts like this and you expect it to go and he goes but he takes it to this other chord and you can tell rick wickman out of all this crazy shit that he's played before is it's like totally and he's kind of getting almost other chord up. he goes to which is brilliant really brilliant yeah. listen how the, it flows and he's like playing it and you can tell he's just like so yeah. focused on how that was yeah. great this is and, awesome. and he said that this is the like best piano piece he's ever like recorded um uh, I, I believe it um yeah. and yeah. and that is why maybe he got so like emotionally involved when he was explaining it he cut his know? hair it, even yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he heard he heard Bowie's demos, and uh, and I imagine this was probably one of them. And yeah. to which he was just like, "Yes, yeah. when do we start recording? I want to be part of this. This is, these songs are amazing." And th- and then this is another one where you know Rano doesn't come in until like the bridge, and then he's out, and then the bridge. I guess it's the bridge. It's a middle eight or some kind of a because then he comes in again on that same another the second bridge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I and, love um, that little. Uh... And it's like he and it's just <clears throat> it just makes the song go somewhere because he doesn't have to overplay in any other part of the song. He just sc- comes in kind of like, you know, his, yeah, you know, know what, actually, it's interesting. Like thinking about it right now, it, it actually like, like the guitar, the guitar line is actually like very Brian May. Hmm. Yeah. But they but weren't, it doesn't, they weren't but around it, yet. Though. Right. They weren't around yet, but it's like, I know like, 
Like, I mean, just like I can totally hear Brian May. Like, I mean, this album probably influenced Brian May in a big way. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. I've never thought about that before. You're absolutely correct. I can absolutely hear like that part where it sounds like like something he would do. Um, So now back to this song, Uh, we already kind of described like what this song is about. You know, you got this uh, girl who's having a tragic like uh, argument or something with her parents, forcing her out. She goes to the movies to escape. Um, What do you uh, guys look to uh, for for an escape when you need it? Music, I guess. Um, You know, and I think we all. Besides music, it's just like another like living in the real world (laughs) so you know well you know there's music you get lost in in this little cool bubble and then everything else is just kind of what you got to deal with i know that um that's with me anyway i know that when we as a band when someone is feeling down or cranky or something and we get together as a band and we play and there's that chemistry that we immediately get even if we just played a week before or something to get together therapy. it is therapy it's like rock yeah. therapy you know yeah so rock therapy by johnny burnett trio jeff do you have any other i think music is probably we've all talked about this together I mean, it's, it's our therapy it's, that's yeah i mean it really is or listening to records i can it, put yeah, on a record it, yeah it keeps me it's it's what keeps me going i mean always it, it's mm-hmm. always been that way yeah there's certain albums that uh continue to ignite that mm-hmm. um and this is definitely one of them and i mean yeah i mean just just the way it's it specifically like i'm just like really really so into the the new handcuffs album and i'm like just really really excited for for us because this is this is really great like and it does make us yeah. feel, I feel like we all really like this album and we all worked really hard and we all put uh, all of our, it's it's like heartfelt at all of us, what we put on this, in this. And I think that kind of helps make the bad stuff go away a little bit is knowing mm, we yeah. created, I, we created this cool thing together. You know, I like that uh, one of the review early reviews, I mean, the record just came out a few days ago, but, but there was some, you know, press had some of the copies early and, uh, there was one of them that said, uh, talking about the sincerity of the band. He said, this is not a revival cover band, uh, retro, the sincerity of the band. You know, that's what I think, well, you know, play. this is what they are. This is what they have to play. This, this mm. comes. And I, mm. I thought, that's true. It feels that way. And, oh, that's uh, oh, I was just going to say on the Life of Martin, one of the things I, wait, I love on that song that I always wait for on the song is um, Rano does his solo and then uh, it goes back into whatever the last verse and all that stuff. And then it goes back into the solo again, the final solo out. And he goes, uh, uh, go, then he does that. And he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that the first time around. I always wait for that. It's like so great. Yeah, there's little tasteful bits. Like, that's, that's the thing. Like, I really, yeah, I do also. Like, really here comes. He doesn't do it this time. Here it comes. Yeah. Like, he's just like. It's like so great. Mm. Cool. That one little thing, right? 
Yeah, it's a, yeah, just one little thing, one little tweak, one little change. It, it it makes the biggest difference, and like I think that's something that like I really kind of like, sort of like subconsciously, kind of like just. I mean, that's how much like Rano has influenced me. Where it's just like I don't even like, you know. I mean, sometimes I might intentionally try to play like him or something, but it's mostly just like. Feel, I don't think you do it on purpose at all. No, and and yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just such a mo- you can tell it's it wasn't planned. You can tell it wasn't he's just like you can tell it's just like right from the heart, you know. So yeah. So anyway, yeah. And I'm right. a drummer. Right. No, it's very it's very tasteful. It's very uh very uh telling that that that's what you pick up on. I feel bad that we haven't talked about Trevor Boulder, but maybe we will later. Uh he's not important to this record. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's so important. And you're a bass player, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I, I, I do love uh I do love what he does. I mean, between this record and yeah. uh he was on the main of the world too, wasn't he? Oh yeah. Yeah. Because he was definitely on uh yeah, he was like, an artist. Those boys from Hall, man. Yeah, oh. like uh Jack Bruce and out on the Man of the World yeah. album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you know what that that's what that reminds me of is that um <clears throat> the the bass and the drums actually kind of upset me on these albums because they sound so weird. And and Brad as the drummer, uh, I remember specifically hearing, I think it was um, Ken Scott that was interviewed saying how uh, Mick Woodmansey like kind of like was busting his chops because he said he hated that he he made his drums sound like he was like playing uh, biscuit tins. Uh, he said it was like no. like sometimes it's like cornflakes. He said he made my drum sound like cornflakes. Well, I, I said biscuit tins, not because of him, but uh, on the early Who album, especially like the Happy Jack album or the English version, a quick one. Uh, Keith Boone says, "Oh, my drums sound like biscuit tins." You know, there's a little clanky, yeah. clanky sounding. And uh, but uh, yeah, there was probably a, uh, a method to the madness there with having his drum sound that way because. Uh, Are talking about Woody Woodsman? Yeah, or okay. Mick Woodsman. Yeah. yeah, and um, we noticed back in the day when we were picking all this apart in my early band. I brought up earlier. Uh, uh, we said, "Oh, did you notice how that?" I mean, we just were so consumed with Bowie stuff back then. Thanks to that singer, we would just like sit around and listen to records with the Bowie records. But if you listen, especially. Uh, on uh, the Ziggy Stardust, the Rise and Fall Ziggy Stardust, uh, and this album too, he's kind of Bowie's kind of tiptoeing into that, but he doesn't know it yet. I think mm-hmm. with like Life on Mars and that whole hmm, this alien thing, it turns into the Ziggy Stardust, the Moon Age Daydream, and all that stuff. Yeah. But if you listen to that, to the Ziggy album in particular, which is like an extension of Hunky Dory. Mm-hmm. They honed in more. There's such a weird production on that Ziggy album. Everything's almost kind of compressed, and the drums are really dead sounding. Right. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of the same with this record, too, isn't it? I mean, yeah. A and, bit. But even more so on that one. And it's almost like he wanted this kind of alien, different sounding record. I want, you know, it's almost like I want a record that sounds like this record and no other record. And uh, yeah. if you think about it, and we talked about it, this might have been our young minds going crazy, but 
the drums on that album are real mechanical sounding. Yeah, weird. There's nothing. There's not no. It's just everything's real. Kind of a syncopated. You know what I'm talking about? Like on Star, the song Star. And all those drums are almost kind of mechanical sound. And they didn't really have drum machines or anything back then. But the drum sounds really dead. It's almost like they muffled them on purpose to sound almost kind of like a pre-drum machine without. So anyway, that's my observation of that when you were talking about the drums. and Yeah, yeah. That, because was, that's the thing. It's like, that's why I don't really like the bass either. Like the, you can hear the bass. Then the bass is real, you know, it's got this weird kind of blown uh, out Jack Bruce, uh, kind of trebly, like more like a Felix Papillardi of I, mountain bass, a really buzzy. Yeah, I don't yeah. mind the bass and drums on this album, but I like it. What do you, well, I don't mind do I it either. I mean, like, I think that their performances <laughs> are good, but, yeah. uh, but just the sound quality itself, there's just something about it that always kind of irks me a little bit. But I mean, but it's, it's, you know, the songs themselves are so beautiful. It doesn't yeah. really matter. Like, I think of that, if the drums were more open and more rock sounding of the day for Ziggy Stardust, it would be a whole different album. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Sounding yeah, album. Probably. Are you talking about Ziggy or album. this album? Huh? Ziggy. Are you talking about, okay, Ziggy. Okay. Ziggy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on. Uh, kooks. Kooks. With a couple of kooks hung up on romancing. Will you stay in a lover's story? If you stay, you won't be um, sorry. Kooks, I never used to like this song. I always thought this song was kind of goofy. <laughs> but then I started to research the song, and then I realized that... Um, it really was goofy. This was essentially a dedication to his uh, his uh, newborn son, uh, Duncan Jones. Duncan, Duncan Zoe Haywood Jones, if yep. you want to be uh, yeah. accurate. Then on the record, it says it's Z, Z inspired by Z uh, or something. Yeah. Yes, right. Oh, yeah. yeah. For small Z. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so the kooks are, in fact, the parents that are describing their embarrassing love for this little new new little human. Um, now, I know I've heard uh, Brad refer to his parents as super cool. Uh, what about the rest of you? How? Wh- what are your parents like? Oh, they were awful. The rest of their parents were just not kidding. My parents were great people yeah. they're gone now um they turned me on to oh. a lot of really good We're music kind of a lot of like our parents yeah even though we grew, like you're you grew up sort of downstate and i'm a city girl but um my dad was a bit of a beatnik uh oh cool and he turned me on to some really good music and art he was a super into art and paintings and music mm-hmm. um but he was maybe a kook he also had they they were he was very into his kids and he to the, till the day he died he told people <laughs> i was a jazz saxophonist which is really cute even though i after i was long into rock and roll and playing guitar and stuff which was actually pretty cute that it, he would say this is my daughter she's a jazz saxophonist i'm like and he, and and, it, and although i love jazz and can, and can still sort of play it i you know it, i'm really more of a rock and roll musician now but it was for it was it's cute so yeah. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. My mom was great too. So, mm-hmm. Jeff, hey, what my, about your parents? My, my parents always uh, surprised me to this day how they um, were so supportive of me. So, I mean, yeah, I started playing guitar when I was 11, and then when I was 13, I was playing with like 
17, 18, 19 year olds, you know, and like, they would let me, they'd let me do it. You know, I mean, I still to this day can't understand why they would, <laughs> because it just seemed out, of, it still seems out of character in a way when I think of how they are. But I mean, they, they also like uh, distilled like a, an insanely strong work ethic within me. Um, and uh, they yeah. bought you a $60 guitar out of a Yeah. I mean, if it weren't, a, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, was that one of Brad's guitars that he sold? <laughs> the one brother. Apparently, apparently. Yeah. Brother. My brothers. Yeah. Um, but Kooks also is, Brad and I think it was inspired by a Neil Young song. We think oh, Bowie right. heard a Neil Young song. Did you, do you? You're correct. Oh, okay. I, I don't oh. remember which song, but yes, I did hear that, uh, that he oh, okay. was influenced. That's, it's till the morning comes and it's on after the gold rush. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. I know that and one. it's yeah, really it's a very short song. Yeah. But it's really so similar. And I also think you even Kooks, got like a little horn part. in. Yeah. It. yeah. yeah <laughs> that's true. With, wow, Trevor Boulder plays the trumpet. So on this song, he does. I, I think so. According to the, like, oh, was, yeah. according to the liner notes, which okay. is so cool. It's so funny because Almost every bass player I've ever known has played trumpet. So I don't know what it is. Do you play oh. trumpet? No, I don't. Oh, my, you're the my first son one. does. And, uh, okay, and I, well, I try to go. play, I try to play his trumpet every now and then, but I'm really not good at it. I don't, I don't, I can't, I can't get the, the, the amateur is very right. weird. Yeah. Yeah. yeah John also strange. played French horn. Yeah. Which is just a fancy trumpet really. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right. Let's move on to the next song. Quicksand. I'm the twisted name on Garbo's eyes Living proof of Churchill's lies I'm destiny My favorite song on the album. It's a pretty good one. It's a little dark. I love this song. Yeah, I, I put this song on countless mixtapes. I mean, I don't know. It's just like something about this song just like... Oh, it's just... it's it Yeah, it's it's beautiful and it's... It's confusing and sad and hopeful, and it's like everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's what it kind of like. It's why, I, like, I would continue to go back to this song in particular because it just like it. I and I, like, I mean, to this day, I still haven't heard anything quite like it. You know, like, yeah, I it's, think, oh, go it's kind of got it. It kind of has it all in it. Yeah. Which which one? I quicksand. Uh, I know, but I'm blanking out on how it starts or how it's it... got that split ends part in it. Oh. So I also think it's got yeah, like yeah, he yeah. has. There's like a real sort of like Ray Davies oh, yeah, storytelling kind of thing about this song too. Like he's yeah. really doing his a good storytelling. Like how Ray Davies sings, and it's just he's telling you a story as he sings. I feel like D- Bowie does that in this song, and it just makes you pay attention. Because he's yeah. hell, he's true. I mean, he tells a story in all of the songs on this, but this particular song, um, Brad will probably talk about a split ends, the band split ends part in this song. But I think this song weirdly has some almost black star bits to it. Yep. Yep. Don't, you know what? I, if you yeah. li- like, it's not yeah. production wise. It's not. But you know. Yeah, what I mean, but that- Jeff- that that feel that 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 atmosphere yeah 
It's got yeah. like like the yeah. uh, like the ah uh parts in it that is sort of like that split ends part that you like he which split ends came obviously way after, but um like black, like it's those ahs, those harmonies are so black star-esque, like they again, are. another prophetic thing. And this song could have been on, even thematically, could have been on Black Star. So, yeah. You know, and the thing know. too is just like it's so um, and also just like thinking thinking about how like I mean like how so far away like ahead ahead of its time just like i mean so far ahead of its time that song um it, it like it just doesn't seem yeah i mean it's like it's like i mean it's like it's it's avant-garde but it's not like it's just yeah. like one of those weird things you know it's like i i like it's so accessible, but like there's a there's so much weirdness in it at the same yeah. time. Like, hmm. yeah, I don't know. I mean, I really, really like. I don't know. I, I think it's why this song it like it's really stuck with me throughout the years, and also probably why. Like, yeah, I mean, Black Star is probably the album I listen to the most still of any Bowie album ever, um, uh, hmm. because yeah, just that that darkness that. But mm-hmm. I mean, that's a completely different it's like a tragic darkness i like a be- like a beautiful tragic beauty like a beautiful darkness in a in yeah. a weird way yeah right yeah I, I could agree with that i mean the, so there's so much here to pick apart but but boiling it down it seems that uh, bowie had been taking in so much knowledge about buddhist faith the occult and the uh, and it- nietzsche-esque philosophy stuff mm. um that he kind of like reached a point of ex- of an existential meltdown essentially mm-hmm. with this song it seems so um, now, now I don't know what your faiths are, but but what makes you question them? Um, I, I, I'm pretty much an atheist, so uh, mm-hmm. I don't. I guess that's a faith in itself. Um, which is, I guess, I would be. I guess I'm. I guess I'm. I'm athe. I feel like I'm atheist, but I. I guess I would say I'm agnostic because who am I to say whether you are there is right. <laughs> whether there is a higher being, a higher power? Um, right. Right. I agree with you. you know, on, on... What? How? Who, who am I to know? Um, but I. I question. I question other people's faith all the time. Um, you know, it's that yeah. old. It's that old saying. Like I. I love your Jesus. I just don't love your Jesus's followers. You know that kind of thing. So. Um, uh-huh. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I, mean, I think I think you have a beautiful faith. <laughs> okay, Groucho, thank you. Uh what about you, Brad? You've been you've been Brad? a little quiet. Um if there was any religion, it should be like, you know, like the Beatles should be like uh because they preached uh love and peace and they and so many people were affected by them yeah and if that's uh, the case then the rolling stones make you question your faith yes <laughs> and uh it's the only faith i have uh-huh. but, um yeah if you think about it it's like yeah that makes total sense all you need is love and and uh you know and helter skelter but uh <laughs> but yeah that's where i stand with that and uh even though i'm sitting down and okay. I'm, I'm definitely an atheist. I have been since uh, probably around the time I started playing guitar. As a matter of fact, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I don't have any. Uh, I, I have no firm beliefs, but I'm endlessly fascinated by religion and cults 
and the occult and everything. I mean, it's just fast. It's fascinating what people believe. Um, and I like, I get transfixed by that. So um, actually, yeah, but, <laughs> uh, Jeff, just saying that I, I am also fascinated by religion and cults. <laughs> I'm like mm-hmm. fascinated. Um, Isn't that the same thing? It's, you know, everybody it, it has de- their own individual. Yeah, it depends, I guess. Um, I, don't want, God, I don't want to insult. My God is the best. I don't right. want to insult people who are truly faithful and are good people. And right. that's the right. way it should be. Um, sure. yeah. But it but I mean, I am I am fascinated with it. And I'm fa- but I also feel like music and it, having said like that, I'm I don't really believe in God. But having said that, music and God. sometimes <laughs> listening to music is a spiritual uh, experience. And, um, you know, I feel like, you know, I'll throw around the term God given talent or whatever, even though I don't really mean God given, I mean like universal given or energy given or something. Like if you sneeze, you say, God bless you. It's like, I say, I didn't didn't really mean that. I say, (laughs) do not sneeze in my face again. No. Um, I usually go for the old gesundheit. Gesundheit. I I think I love that word. Actually, that's a fun word to say. Yeah, I don't know if it means the same thing literally, but I like it more than saying God bless you. I think you. it's a really fun word to say, so I agree with that. And I'm going to only say that word from now on. In okay. my, um, when I was growing up, my parents and uh, the whole, even my grandparents, uh, we'd be around and somebody sneezed. They would say, you can fuck right off. I don't know why, but that's what I grew <laughs> Your up Your grandparents from the old country. I like that. Yeah. You can I have fuck sneezing. right off. <laughs> And they, would have, say, and they would always say, thank you. I'm sorry, Jimmy, what? <laughs> no, I, I have sneezing fits now. Whenever I sneeze, I can't help but to sneeze at least three times in a row, which sucks. But uh, the only, I, it's not something I, that always happened. But when I was uh, like a 20-year-old something living with these dudes, um, one of them was a hilarious dude from, from upstate New York originally. And uh, I remember like him, like I was, I sneezed once and he was just like, oh, good, God bless you. And then I sneezed again. And he was just like, like isn't I? And then the third time he's just like, "All right, we just cut it out already." <laughs> you can fuck right off. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly that. Just fuck right off. So I, I love that. That that always sticks with me too. Now, whenever I hear people sneeze a lot. I love right. that. I love that story. Yeah, <laughs> should, do, you should do that too. From now on, just like start like as soon as uh-huh. someone reaches the third one, be like, "All right, that's enough." You I've would be it. doing that a lot because I sneeze a lot. Yeah, she sneezes three hundred times a day. <laughs> I'm uh, but I always, I, I always, when you do that, though, I always say you can fuck right off. Yep, you do. And you say thank you. And I say thank you. <laughs> it still works. Look at that. All right, we're now on side two. Oh boy! Uh, first song of side two is "Fill Your Heart." Fill your heart with love today. Don't play the game of time. Things of a double album. No, the quadruple album. It's like all things must pass or triple album. Quad oh sound. my God. I can't, Quad I, sound. When somebody uh, picks that record, I just give up. <laughs> all things must pass. I just Which record that? All things must pass. <laughs> so fill your heart. It's uh, the only al- the only cover on the album and a stark contrast to the last song, Quicksand. Yeah. Um, I don't actually really have a question for this song. Um, the only thing I see about this song is that uh, here we have the singer essentially saying love will free us all and even possibly bring us peace. And speaking of faith, that's yeah. all you need, really. All you need is love. 
Um, and and again, uh, for you, all you listeners out there, young and old, um, check out uh, Tiny Tim's debut album produced by Richard Perry. Uh, he covers uh, Fill Your Heart. And originally, like a couple of, of oh, it wasn't too much longer before the Hunky Dory album, but, you know, probably 68 or 9, 70, okay. somewhere in there. I mean, which is kind of interesting because, you know, Bowie, everybody, all the songwriters back then, were, and I guess they still do, but they were listening to everybody, anything. And mm-hmm. uh, especially <laughs> on this album, uh, Bowie, it seems like he was really trying to find a new audience with the, uh, some of the lyrics he has and his look. I feel like this song also <clears throat> was Bowie. Bowie had this sort of like, like this is his like English dance hall song where he would listen to like, a, you know, some of those old timey English, probably like a Tessie O'Shea or uh, look, Google, Google that person kids or, and you know, <laughs> it's just like the, this is like his, his squeaky saxophone solo on it is, Oh yeah, that's a Kinda great. great. That's so it's cool. just like so ridiculously. It's just so over the top, and it's so yeah. It's, it's, it's just like it's it's almost like it's like yeah, a, it, like he's in grade school and he's playing his sax solo on this like little English dance hall song, and it's just got this cute thing about it a little bit, and um, you know, Bowie's kind of doing his ah, you know, kind of vocal. Anthony yeah. Newley meets actually Anthony Newley kind of meets Lou Reed in a weird way. Um, hmm. I think on right. this song, but uh, yeah, that squeaky sax is kind of awesome. <laughs> this song. All right. Yeah. Well, like I said, I don't have much to your say. Your favorite that song on the album, Jimmy. Uh, fill your heart. No, yeah, I can't I say that. <laughs> but um, this, the, the whole, this whole second side is like, you know, as far as like the way that people listen to records, um, there's, you know, typically a favorite side. The A side yeah. is my favorite side by far. Okay. Um, so, cause the next song on the B side is, uh, the song Andy Warhol. Like to take a cement bigger standing cinema, dress my friends up just for show, see them as they really are. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, do you guys not find this song to be cringy? No. No, no. I love God, it. I love this. I, it's love got- it. I like, I seriously, I listen to what, like, I listened to it on headphones the other day and I'm like, Wow, this is just like it's just so like in your face. The guitar, the the acoustic guitar. Like, That's what I love too. And like all are just like all the weird like synth stuff and just like I mean, and I'll just like it's. I mean, it's definitely. I mean, you know, it's the it, thing is, it's like it's not tongue-in-cheek experimental it's experimental for its own sake like it's just like this is it like it like it seems like a goofy song but it's actually not that goofy like if you really i don't know i mean i don't i don't know what i'll compare it to you know like right i mean it's kind of like a like a almost a flamenco style guitar playing on it which i thought was interesting i thought that was an interesting choice uh, and then, of course, like the 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 lyrical content is this <clears throat> is where it gets a little weird and like kind of like <clears throat> cringy for me, because uh, especially considering that if you think about how Bowie wrote this as in a tribute to to Andy Warhol, he was a fan of his, 
and actually got to meet him when he went to the United States in 71 and mm-hmm. actually played the song for him acoustically, which is where the cringe starts to really kind of get to me because uh, Andy Warhol was way under impressed. Yeah, he didn't this. like the song. No, oh, he didn't. He didn't, like-, he didn't yeah. like the song. And he like and he actually literally just walked away from from Bowie. Oh, I didn't know that. See, <laughs> I think. I know this story. And I think that whole thing was just performance art on both their parts, especially uh, like Andy. For me, sure. I feel like Andy, that is such an, that seems like such an Andy Warhol thing to do, to just walk away. I think he kind of one-upped Bowie and his performance art on that one. Yeah. I like I almost, thinks, I'm going to go into this. I want to really check out this. Well, and it was so meta because that is such a boat, like, so I don't mean meta Facebook. I mean, meta and what it really means, but like, right. like, like that is such an Andy Warhol typical move. Yeah. And it's also like exactly what you expect Andy Warhol to do. Like, like if, if I ever met, if I had, well, Andy Warhol's dead obviously and died before I would even, even been able to meet him, but like he would have, he would have walked away from me because I would have probably said something stupid. I would have been like, you're an amazing artist. And he would be like, oh, no, I'm not. And he'd walk away or whatever, because that's just Andy. (laughs) And I just feel like, you know, and I also feel like Andy was sort of like, you're not you're not allowed to write songs about me. I'm the one who pushes celebrities and does the things. Right. You know Mm. what you're saying? That's not me. Well, I read this great book and I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of it. uh, Someone gifted me and it's a book. You can look it up. It's really a cool book. It's every song that David Bowie ever wrote or performed. Hmm. Some of them were never recorded. Wendy Liebman gave it to you. Yeah, but I didn't want to be a name problem. Okay, sorry. And uh, so, uh, yes, so this book, it has every song that he recorded or performed live. And then there's stories for every song. It'll say, you know, oh, he performed this Beatles song somewhere. It's like, really? He did that song somewhere? And... uh, but it has all kinds of other cool stories in it. And it uh, has part of that story where Bowie saw one of Andy Warhol's uh, troops uh, that has some weird little play. Oh, pork. Yeah. Yeah. In maybe England. one, of, but it played in England and yeah. Bowie yeah. went to that and, and they think that's where he first saw all the glittery and glam and we're in, right. like, they're like, and he yeah. was, still had his perm, you know, uh-huh. Bowie yeah. did. And he was like, Hmm. And I yeah. think that is like, that's what I'll do. And I need to get in with this factory people, this Andy Warhol thing. And, right. yeah. and uh, to cut to the chase, he did that. And and they and he thought, oh, man, they're going to think I'm so cool and stuff. And it was like. They didn't. Yeah. We no, they, he, he didn't go over very well. They all. We don't, we don't like of... your shoes. Right. They said right. stupid things like that. You know, they're, <laughs> oh, you're what's with your shoes? Right. He's yeah, like, no, totally they, they catching him off was... guard, you know. And he's like, What the hell is this? I don't know. Yeah, they thought he was some weird, like folky guy, and that yeah. was it. And that's just like, you know, whereas Bowie took the inspiration from from them, that performance of Pork, uh, you know, Lou Reed yeah. Love It Underground, and you know, kind of really dug into the whole grungy New York rock thing. And yeah. then yeah. And the that's Lou Reed, Ziggy him, Pops, and right. uh, all that's that. what led him into uh, Ziggy Stardust and Spiders from Mars, which essentially when all of these songs were being written, most of the songs for Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars were, were also written at the same time. Yeah. So, and, 
I actually love the guitar on this song too. The the acoustic. I think the acoustic yeah. guitar is so beefy right. and mm. big. It's like big and beefy, and it's like you almost forget it's acoustic. It's like the way Led Zeppelin uses acoustic guitars. Yeah. Yeah. They, they beef yeah. up the songs. They don't make them folky. They make them beefier. Yeah. And right. um, it's just. I think it's got a. It's just. I thought it was pretty ingenious to use acoustic guitar for the main uh rhythm in this song it's 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 uh it 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 matches it yet it doesn't match it like you would never think to use especially for like an andy warhol city factory you know right so anyway okay um so speaking of andy warhol and uh obviously um you know bowie's obsession with him his uh his uh fanaticism of him yeah his um who are some of your idols and have you ever met them? Yes. <laughs> some of our idols. I mean, I'm, uh, oh, I mean, I haven't met m- many of my idols and sometimes you have to be careful when you meet your idols because right. they can often disappoint you. Sure. I feel like I've been pretty lucky meeting people who I really idolize and have met them and they've actually turned out to be kind of great. Um, mm-hmm. And some not so great. And I don't really want to mention the not so great ones. Of course but, not. Um, yeah, I mean, Brad's met everybody. So I should just shut up. Except Keith Moon. But you do yeah. have a drum set. I met Pete his. Townsend. Yeah, yeah you've met Townsend. you've met a lot of people. Brad's met a lot of people through his travels. He has like a giant, he collects autographs too, which is sort of cool. Oh. He always has stories about the autographs. Out of, yeah. And um, uh just like as a fan, and it's yeah. pretty cool. Well, or I played, you know, where I'd play on a yeah. bill with someone. It's like, oh, that's so cool. I'm gonna take my uh, record or something and see if I. And that just kind of started there, and uh, that's cool. Yeah, I, why not? Yeah, <laughs> and it's easier being in a band, being a band member, and uh, being on a bill or in a band oh, yeah. that someone's heard of, and they go, yeah. oh yeah, you really you want my autograph? Okay, right. whatever, you know, and then they'll sign up for me, you know. So. Yeah, that kind of right. helps. So, so you've met everybody, Brad. Uh, Chloe, who, who have you met? I mean, I know you don't you don't want to mention the, the, um, the sour. I ones, mean, but... I've met a lot of people. I've met like you know Debbie Harry. I've met. I have Debbie. We have Debbie a shoe of Debbie Harry's that she signed. It's a long. Yeah, shoe. That's like another story. Um, we have. Um, I've met Morgan Fisher, obviously. Who? Um, I mean, I guess I've met him. We've we've never met in person because it's lives in japan but i think we hopefully will i met jeff beck um i wouldn't say he's an idol but i think he's a fucking amazing guitar player Mm -hmm. um he was really nice to me um my boyfriend robin zander of course um that's my husband but robin zander no um from cheap trick yeah i mean i've met some people and most most everybody has been amazingly wonderful um you know, meeting Debbie Harry was pretty cool because I really, really am inspired by Debbie Harry. Um, mm-hmm. um, there's not, I mean, I'm mostly inspired by, I guess you would say male rock singers, but Debbie definitely was an inspiration for me or is an, is an inspiration for me. So mm-hmm. that was pretty great to meet her. Um, and I can't say I've met any of the other singers who I'm influenced by um, mm. male wise. Carlos Alomar. Oh, Carlos, yeah, Bowie's, yeah, Bowie's band, band leader, Carlos Alomar, I've met, who is 
lovely and wonderful and told great Bowie stories. Um, so, hmm. um, Jeff, I really, I mean, I can't think of um, anyone that I've met that I've ever really like. I yeah, I mean, I just like I, as far as idols and stuff. I mean, it's like I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I just like that. I'm just <laughs> kind of like drawn a blank. Like, I mean, I remember meeting Crispin Glover. He's awesome. <laughs> oh, that was probably a little weird, right? <laughs> it was great. So He's so friendly. I have a photo. Oh, of, that's so cool. My, my wife and I. My, yeah, he was like doing a thing at the music box. He was showing one of his one of his uh, insane films at the music box years ago and he would do like Q and a and he'd like do a, you know, sign autographs afterward. Yeah. And he was like, so we a this, we, we, too, actually my wife and I have a picture of ourselves with Crispin Glover and he's just got like this do this like doofy look on his face. It's That's awesome. awesome. It's really great. Like, I That's mean, Crispin for you. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, that's a, actually, yeah. I mean, that's just probably, yeah, but he was totally cool. He was totally sweet. Totally nice. Like, cool. that's good. Totally, uh, totally great. It's always totally nice awesome. to hear that. Ooh, All Jacob right, well, Dylan. Wait, I just have to mention because the next song is Bob, is a song for Bob Dylan. We met Jacob Dylan and he was awesome. Oh, we, yeah? we saw we saw um, we went to a screening of the documentary he did. Uh, he was part of um, the Laurel Canyon documentary. Yes. Right. And then he did a and then he did like a, a sort of a I don't I don't want to call it a concert. So it was just they set up at the theater. There weren't a lot of people there and they did a and a and then we talked to him afterwards and he was lovely. He was really, really wonderful. Uh, Echo in the Canyon was the movie, what it was called. Um, right. He did a great job. The band was really cool that he brought with him. They did a great job. And it was kind of cool. He came up to us. He came up to us. Oh, yeah? Talked to That's us, cool. yeah. Well, someone in his band we recognized Brad, too. Yeah, we had his wallet, so he had to come up to us. No, <laughs> um, someone in, in the band recognized Brad, so that happens, too. But he he was really lovely and nice and um, seemed genuine and... Um, was very handsome mm, yeah dreamy dreamy um that's what i can't and stand. i imagine can't if you send me in such a handsome guy if you put your if you poked your finger in him you would you would come out with like buttercream frosting he was oh, see, wow. yeah, so dreamy that freaks me out his piercing eyes yeah so anyway <laughs> that dreamy that dreamy voice it's got that kind of deep voice doesn't it? oh yeah kind of speaks I, like his dad i met his dad oh you did Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah what was, was that? What was his name? What was that guy's name? Zip. Robert. Bob. Bob. Robert. Robert. Zimmerman. Robert Zimmerman. Bob. Yeah. Hey, Bob. What's your name? Bob. Bob. Here, take a picture. Okay. Yeah, I, I heard he's not all that personable. Like he's not really easy to approach. Uh, he it, approached us. He came to uh, Elvis. It Brothers. was. Uh, I mean, it was before we were recording at the Power like Station in New York oh, okay. City, and uh, yeah. he was recording there at the same time, and. Uh, Late at night, he would always end up wandering over and hanging out in our control room while we were someone was doing a dub or something, you know. Hmm. And, uh, That's actually pretty badass, I and, have uh, to say. Bob Dylan would be very yeah. cool to meet. Kind of a long story. It'll be in the book, but okay. uh, um, but we didn't say anything because you know we didn't want to bug him. It's like, oh, it's Bob. It's like you know John Lennon walking in. It's Bob. Yeah. Well, actually, John Lennon was inspired by. Bob Dylan. So, uh, but one night I was like, you know, this is like the third night he's been in here and I might not ever see him again. And I'll kick myself in the arse if I don't go say hi to Bob Dylan. So I, 
I said, I'm going to go down there. And, and Rob Elvis, you know, they followed him right behind me. And I was like, okay. And I, and I, we went and talked to Bob Dylan. I said, hi. And he goes, oh, sounds, sounds good. No, he said, <laughs> no, that sounds good. You like the room? You know, it's just a ca- casual. Uh, but it's kind of funny because Rob had on a, uh, a Sun Records T-shirt. And this was like early 80s. And uh wasn't a lot of those around, but we probably picked it up when we were playing in Memphis or something. It was yellow mm-hmm. Sun Records t-shirt. But right. hey, oh, I like your t-shirt. Cool. And we talk a little bit. Yeah, champagne. Yeah, I think I, I played there one time. And wow, I like that t-shirt. <laughs> and then he's like, he goes, want to sell it? Are you and, serious? Did he yeah. really ask you that? And, and Rob's like, well, well, that's the other band. Rob's like, not really. I don't know. I mean, I just have the shirt. He goes, oh, okay. Yeah, it's really cool. It's <laughs> <laughs> really into the, yeah. What is it with celebrities asking to buy fucking shirts off people's backs? <laughs> he was just so into it, I think, and probably never seen one before. It's like, oh my God, he's wearing a sun record. How cool, you know, it's Bob Dylan. So, yeah. like, oh, yeah, I guess. Here, you no. buy trousers, yeah. you know. <laughs> That's so weird. That, like that happened socks. to me once. Really? I, I, was, I used to be, well, I was playing, well, not with Bob Dylan, but I mean, I, I was playing in this band uh, in, in Providence, Rhode Island, uh, AS220. And uh, this band that was kind of like, you know, radio band in the early 2000s, I think, Shooty's, Shooty's Groove. You remember them? Mm-mm. No? Okay. I, well, the name sounds super familiar. Yeah, they had a they had a, they got a song on the radio and like it was kind of blowing up and so yeah. like they came to see our band because we had these two well we had one girl that was in the band that was really hot or she was really cute and she had a really cute uh, friend uh, actually it was I think her cousin but she was there too so they went to go see them at another club brought them back to our show <clears throat> and uh, so they came backstage and, and talked with us and I was wearing this uh, like embroidered cowboy shirt that had all these roses on the yeah on, along mm-hmm. the shoulders the classic cowboy shirt yeah cool. it was really really well done it was a really beautiful shirt and uh i think i got it in like when i when i was in bolivia oddly enough um but so the bass player of that band like was we were talking and he was just like hey that's a really cool shirt i was just like oh thanks man yeah it was like i got it in bolivia and he's just like hey would you, would you be interested in selling it i was like <laughs> no no, no. Really. and you go home and like, how not? Where's your shirt? And yeah. Some guy sold it. He bought the some, shirt right off my back. I sold right. it to some accordion player. It's, it, maybe it's just a power move. Just been like, hey, I better yeah, make this guy sell me his shirt. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's uh, funny. You know, I uh, played. I played in Providence at least once. I played there with Van Halen one time. Oh yeah, where was that? Uh, I don't know. Some big, a normal hall place. I don't know. Really. That was but, early too, right? That was like uh, 79. Second record of theirs? I think it was 79. We played that whole East Coast. Well, all the way down and all over the United States. But uh, Oh, cool. You That's said the Prov- time you came you, to Providence? Because I mean, I, you've done a lot of touring. Maybe. I'd have to look at my gig book. Oh, okay. It'll be in the book. But uh, yeah. Uh, but you said Providence. And I was like, ding, 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 ding. I've played there before. Nice. Yeah. So I thought I thought you might like that because you know Rhode Island's so small. It is, yeah. yeah. One of but the smallest I've heard. It is the smallest with the largest name. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. State of Rhode Island and Providence Plantations is its full name. Wow. Really? <laughs> yeah, that's its technical full name. And yeah. but the weird thing is they spelled road wrong. I know. Uh, weird? Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on. Uh song for Bob Dylan is the next song. Zimmerman, I wrote a song for you. 
Okay, so this is another one that I feel is like kind of cringy. Um, and oddly enough, it's like it's not necessarily a tribute song to Dylan. Like there's some debate, obviously, amongst fans and critics and so forth. Um, but let's see, I, I found this little fact. Uh, Bowie crossed paths with Dylan several times in the 70s and 80s. Although relations between the two were never strong, <clears throat> in 1976, in a pugnacious mood while on tour in Detroit, Bowie told a Melody Maker reporter, I'm not a great Dylan fan. I think he's a prick, so I'm not that interested. <laughs> um, uh, that's Maybe he's cranky because uh, Mick Ronson maybe, went yeah. off to play with Bob Dylan after... Uh, I, I, I'm wondering. After uh, that, yeah. Bowie booted him. Yeah. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah, maybe. Maybe there's a little animosity there. Like, I mean, yeah, it's like... Oh, I'm gonna go on and do my big thing. Sorry, Rano. You know, there's like I mean, I understand you played with Mott and then Mott the Hoople and then off to Bob Dylan, I think. So it's like I understand why is that they're here. Well, Bob Dylan was a little bigger than Bowie was at that time. Yeah, well he <laughs> Bowie was I mean he admitted this even in his you know exhibit that was we were lucky enough to have in Chicago, the Bowie David Bowie is oh, uh cool. exhibit. Yeah. And we, you know, he 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 did often want to sort of, uh, you know, you use other people to help himself kind of, you know, not in, not in a, not in a totally opportunistic way, but, you know, I can see him. Dylan was huge. Like I'm going to put a song on my album called song for Bob Dylan. Yeah. yeah. I'd like to think that he put a song for Bob Dylan and named it that song specifically because he was sort of trying to, get on the Bob Dylan bandwagon and have the yeah. name in there and people be like, Ooh, what's this? Song? Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, I, I think it was actually kind of the opposite. I think it was actually him calling him out a little bit okay. from, from some of the research that I did. And that's not what I included ah. here uh, was that um, this is at the time. So this is, you know, 71 ish that he's recording this record. Um, Bob Dylan kind of fell off the, you know, he fell out of the scene for a while because of that uh, tragic. Uh, uh, and motorcycle he fell off accident. the motorcycle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah so yeah. he was kind of out of commission for a few years yeah. and, um, Bowie had said something along the lines of this, like, uh, you know, he's not around, like, he's not kind of like, you know, kind of ever present at the moment. So someone needs to take up this, this space. Someone needs to kind of take a leadership role in the rock and roll scene and do rock and roll. Mm. Uh, so I, I would want to be that person essentially as something along yeah. the lines of what he said. As I said, he sort of used the name, <laughs> like, no, I, but I know what you mean. Like he, yeah. I think it is sort of like, well, if he's not around, I'm going to, I'm going to exactly. jump on that bandwagon there. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, and, and Bowie wasn't that successful at the time. You know, no. I mean, that's the other weird thing about this record is it's, you know, it's just before he really kind of broke big. Yeah. Um, Like this record didn't sell well. This record sold like under 500,000 copies at the time, which I mean, I know that sounds like a lot to us, but. But it's not. Yeah. No. Oh, it's, yeah. You know, I'd be surprised if it did that. Yeah. I mean, when I saw him in. um mid 74 the first leg of the diamond dogs tour hmm. everybody like, oh wow and he still wasn't very popular and he was playing these kind of ratty theaters really i mean that's after, that's after ziggy i mean that that's when he really kind of broke yeah. you know he broke but to a certain underground cult crowd of uh, that sort of thing it wasn't like mainstream at all it wasn't on the radio hmm. and yeah. uh i know and then diamond dogs you know, there was Rebel Rebel, which got a tiny bit of airplay. It wasn't like a big song or anything. It was to all the cool people that like David Bowie and stuff. 
But um, the first leg I, was, I saw with all the props and everything, and uh, which was uh, an experience. And second leg, he didn't do that, but that's when he kind of turned into the thin white duke kind of thing. Oh. Well, with the Diamond Dogs tour, he was going broke. I yes, think that's that, because that's why they totally... had to stop drop. They could, well, we can't take all these cool. Yeah, yeah. He had to cut corners props. just to because he was mm-hmm. pay- paying for it all out of his pocket. So, yeah. so right there, yeah, he wasn't doing very that great. And uh, but in my memory, when I started hearing a song actually on the radio, and it still wasn't a very big hit, but it was when that David Live album came out. Hmm. Uh-huh. which okay. was rec- recorded the diamond dogs tour and uh he had the song uh the cover song knock on wood you gotta knock on wood you know that mm-hmm. he did a cover of that and that was on the radio for a while and i remember going wow you gotta i hear the song quite a bit on the radio and uh that's when he started er, and then young americans of course that's where oh, okay. it all started happening so that's yeah it. so this whole air early air area it was like even though it's like our favorite era. My oh, yeah. 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 Like, yeah. You know, people finally, sure. oh, yeah. as all quirky, clever, too brilliant artists, a lot of people don't discover that until later. Later. Yeah. And then they go, wow, his early albums are awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on to the next song, Queen Bitch. She's hoping to score, so I can't see her letting him go. Walk out of her heart, walk out of her mind. Uh, I don't really have a, a question for this song. <laughs> Are you referencing to Chloe? This is, that's, my fa- that's, this is my favorite song on the record. It's a great this, song. This record is everything I want in a Bowie song. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's got a bippity boppity hat in it. It's got like... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> It's acoustic. The talky vocals are brilliant. Um, it's, it's got just the beefy, cool... the beefy acoustic yeah, the, uh, up against that, the yeah, and then that yeah, oh, that, yeah that like he puts on the fay voice. Yeah, yeah. It's just a, it's just a spectacular. It's my favorite song on the record, and I heard it once. We were at a record show in this giant union hall, and they played it, and they started. Then someone was spinning records. Um, up on a stage really far away from like where I was like looking through records, you know, I've ever been to a record show, but it was in a really big, it was plump Jeff. It was at plumber's hall. So this giant hall. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but there was a DJ spinning records at the time when we were there and he started, he started spinning queen bitch. And I just yelled really loud queen bitch. Like, like <laughs> people like, I, like I had Tourette's or something, which not that there's anything wrong with that. It's, but it was just like, people are like looking at me like, what? Hey, like super excited when I heard like the second it started, like it wasn't even like after I realized what it was, it was like the first two notes, you know, ding, right. Ding, and I was ding, like, queen ding. bitch. And like, and people, you know, just very echoey hall yeah. and these people look at records and they all look like bad, 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 right bad. so anyway i remember when i had my first beer <laughs> when did I, I was completely sober so it was a very it's my i just love the song you i were did, drunk on vinyl i was drunk yeah. on vinyl exactly oh, there you go no this is a great song i agree with you completely i mean it's certainly it's one of my favorites off this record i mean like as far as like being a rock song you know i mean because this is the only rock song on this record yeah. So uh, yeah. and this obviously leads into what he ends up doing with uh, Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. Yeah. Um, also, uh, if I may interject, of course, uh, 
supposedly written about Lou Reed. Yep. And I also read in this mystifying book that I've told you about that I can't think of the title where Bowie just talks about all the stories of all of his songs. This one, uh, some of the lyrics were written while he was visiting New York up at Max's Kansas City, which was the, there was the downstairs kind of big bar part, but upstairs is where the music room was. And uh, he was Velvet Underground. Everybody used to play up there and all that. So yeah. he supposedly wrote some of the lyrics while at Max's, uh, uh, looking down at the cruisers below, was looking oh. out that window. There was a window upstairs at Max's and that, that looked down on the street in front. And uh, supposedly that's where that lines like that came from. So, oh, okay. Well, it makes sense. I mean, it, it certainly is a tribute to Lou Reed in, in one way or another. And uh, it certainly seems that he kind of was biting their style, trying to, you know, and doing it in tribute, but still very oh, much yeah. lifting, lifting the Velvet Underground he was, style. He was very good at lifting other people's styles and making them his own. Very yeah. good at that. Like everything from in from his fashion to his work, you know, his lyrics, to his music. Um, but that's also kind of makes him brilliant. We're all inspired by other people. It's just being able to make them your own and give it your own, you know, your own thing is a, is a, is a talent. Sure. It's that yeah. magic. Uh, all right. Last song. Uh, <laughs> the, the Boulay brothers. And with that, with that, the Boulay brothers here, here they are. And I wish that by flashing teeth of brass, standing tall in the dark, when we were gone. Uh, anybody? Right. Oh, uh, I mean, I, I like, I, I actually do like really like this song. Yeah, because it's a weird. It's just so weird, and like the backwards tape guitar thing gets me all the time and i'm just like oh my god that's the coolest fucking thing ever and like i mean but it's also again it's done so tastefully yeah it's like and it's so it's so memorable and um i always love the way that it breaks down towards the end doing that like cockney you know yeah thing. Oh. It's, all like, oh. it's just like it's just like like okay everything is like oh wow like i mean it's like you're, out you're, all these weird voices. It's just like you're and you're like entering this like weird like world and like and again it, it, it could be it, the schizophrenic like, take. Like if he's if he's kind of mentioning a little bit about the schizophrenia of yes uh, one of like I mean look you know his brother most likely had some kind of like uh, effect on on this song mm -hmm. in particular, mm -hmm. and if that's what he wanted to kind of convey that's kind of like maybe what that is at the end, because there's just these weird different voices kind of coming at you from all different sides. The guitar, like it's doing that, like almost like <clears throat> quadraphonic thing. Mm -hmm. mm. It, 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 like it, it tricks me into thinking it's quadraphonic because it's just like, like, blum, 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 blum. It's panning. Yeah, like that. It's, it's yeah. just like panning so quickly that it like, yeah, almost creates like a rotating effect. And I also feel like this is another example of sort of Bowie being a little bit ahead of his time. And I don't know if this just sort of like, I guess Brad had said he read where this just kind of fell out in the studio, this song hmm. a, a little okay. bit, right? He said uh, he had been jotting down just lyrics, of course. And uh, he said all the other songs on the album pretty much were together when he brought them in the studio. And this one, 
he'd just been jotting lyrics down in the studio. And one night he had an idea to piece it together. And, and he said it was loosely based upon the Boulay brothers was like the, uh, I guess it would be the, the Jones brothers, the yeah. two brothers is yeah. loosely based on that. And that's what he called it. The Boulay brothers for whatever reason. But yeah. I also think it gives Bowie like sort of ahead of his time stuff again, where he, Almost like I feel like there's themes of this kind of thing in other future albums that he yeah. is sure. kind of like a black star thing again in, in a way. Yeah, for um, sure. That's not sonically necessarily, but just idea wise and concept wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Well, so I mean, this song, uh, from what I learned in, in the research that I had done, there's a number of different interpretations of this song. Uh all of them are kind of all over the place. Um, Bowie himself is said to have told producer Ken Scott that it was a track for the American market because the Americans quote, the Americans always like to read things, read into things, even though the lyrics make absolutely no sense. Um, (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this is our final question. This is our, this is our final question for the evening. That's Uh, very Warhol esque. Also, I have to say, I feel like sure. Yeah, that would be something Warhol would also do. (laughs) I'm going to paint soup cans and make it them be worth a billion dollars or whatever. A bajillion dollars. Yes. Well, I know some rockers like to have fun and give fake answers to interviews and questions, uh, questions and interviews. Um, Have the handcuffs, have the, have the handcuffs spun any tales to bust some chops or create or build a myth. Everything I've said to you today has been a has been a lie. Okay, cool, cool. Well, I'm glad we cleared that up. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, no, that was not you. I'm sorry. No, everything was the truth. Um, okay, I'm a myth. She's a mythus. <laughs> um, well, originally our album because he had hunky dory, we were going to call it Okie Dokie. <laughs> <laughs> the new one? You're going you're yeah. to call the new one Okie Dokie? Yeah. Because... <laughs> cool. Why didn't you go with Okie Dokie? Well, because at the time <laughs> Jeff uh, was going to quit. Well, we were going <laughs> to. We had this other. We had this uh, band idea we, we, because of the whole Rick Wakeman thing, uh, and he was in the band Yes, and we thought, well, <laughs> we could do a, a Yes tribute, but then we'll do a country version. We'll call it Yep. Um, but that didn't come together, so we had burned the rails and now it's all this. I don't remember oh, okay. telling any tall tales about. No, no um, not really. Because I'm short anyway. So. Yeah, and we live in the land oh, okay. of Lincoln. And he was very honest. <laughs> honest Abe, right. What about okay. you, yeah. Jimmy? Have you told any tall tales in any of your interviews? Well, in any of my interviews? No. Uh, no, I, actually, no. Unfortunately, I'm very honest. Um, I, I'm not the one being He's from Illinois. I, never I know, get but inter- I get never get interviewed, so I never have to make up a story. Really, I want to interview you now. Maybe we should just do that. Okay, sure. Which what album do you want to talk about? What size shoe do you? Wear? Yeah, right. I actually, I bet you have a lot of. Do you? Oh, I know what I want to ask you. So when people do these out, this vinyl and vision, sure. Do you remember all of the stuff? Like if like in a year, will you remember the stuff about the boy album or would you have to like look at your notes? Like someone will bring it up and you'll right. go, oh, oh yeah. Fact, yeah. Not- I mean, I'm not going to remember this tomorrow. <laughs> OK, he doesn't even know who we are. No, actually, the, the, the real the real answer is that um, the the brain works like a computer and there's only so much okay. uh, memory in there that uh, I have 
I, it's not even it's con- uh, subconsciously I have to just expel some stuff and get de- delete some I files. I get it. But and how fun to look up all this stuff, even like albums that maybe you're not crazy about. It probably is a learning experience and you yeah. probably learn some cool stuff when you research it. Absolutely. It, it absolutely is. And that's why it's fun to do this. And that's why I do do it. Um, I do do it. <laughs> Did you get that one? Yeah. That yes. was a little, I, I, I only realized after I said it, I'd like to say thank you for taking the time and to discuss this record with me. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Very much. It's been a lot of fun. I learned a lot. I know about this record from you. So thank you for doing such uh, extensive research to Not a problem. give us a few little things that and I mean, Brad I, may have known, but I didn't know. So I, I, so I kind of knew about the handcuffs, but uh, <laughs> the whole burn the rails album, which is awesome. Yes, yeah. I know. And then so Thanks now it's officially Jeffrey out. Kamisiak, who's down there in my little screen. Yep. Oh, hi. Lead guitarist, mm-hmm. Jeff. There you are. Um, so the new record is out. Uh, yes. The vinyl, we don't know. We don't have an exact date of the vinyl. No, being everything's chain. so backed up yeah. with the pressing plants. Yeah. And, uh, did know. you see that? I just saw a thing. But we'll, on... you'll pr- I'm sure you're going to be on the vinyl list. So don't fret. Okay. Very Pardon cool. But, you know, it's, it's all good. So you, people should still, if they're waiting for vinyl, they can do that. But it's going to be a while. Yep. In uh, the main, meantime, you know, if you want to hear some uh, in cool the meantime, rock and listen, music for right. the summer pick up the handcuffs either the cd or or download download or or stream and then when the vinyl comes out you'll be ready to blast it on your hi-fi yeah and sing along and all that stuff yeah yeah. put your cat on the record and spin the cat around (laughs) on the record do you know if you have if uh, pravda has any plan to uh, do a pre-sale at this point or or no I don't know. I, or they're going to want to wait till they have them in hand and then start selling. Them. He he sometimes does pre-sale, so we might do that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll we'll talk to them about that. But this and, is um, also new right now. I think yeah. we don't want to confuse everything. Yeah, so. we're right, right. they might do pre-sale though. I I I wouldn't have any objection to that. What about okay. you, Jeff? Pre-sales? What? I don't know. I'm just. You encourage the pre-sale. I'm trying to keep. <clears throat> I'm trying to keep Jimmy on the line because I know he has to go. <laughs> yeah no uh, um, i'm being a dick i'm the, being a bowie hey, I'm, I'm all being, good i already i'm being a dick and really what jimmy should just do right now is just walk away like andy warhol would <laughs> no i wouldn't do that i have a lot more respect than andy warhol does um but hey, no, what, I, I just you guys your website i mean is that where the best place to find the music yeah or google it like the handcuffs will will guide the handcuffs.com can guide people to uh the oh, websites the yeah or probably, i mean yeah. most or pravda music.com no so. pravda music.com well, and that's um, what that that's what probably yeah means, and like, then um you know and people everybody knows how, they get on spotify nowadays or whatever they're they're you know preferred streaming or download they'll find it they'll find yeah. it burn the rails is the record burn the um, rails that's and right we, we definitely appreciate um you promoting it so thank you so much absolutely yeah, it's been a pleasure been a pleasure speaking with all of you uh thank yeah. you all for taking the time i hope we do it again next time it's going to be um i'm trying to think of a quadruple album like tommy or something it's tommy uh, we'll quadruple. Do, uh, magnetic field 69 songs in the oh wow done that's it oh, next time sign us up <laughs> <laughs> I know. Actually, Jeff, Jeff's like I gears. Are, Jeff's beer, gears I, are spinning. I haven't, li- I haven't listened to that in years, actually, and I okay. remember. I'm just remembering how much I love that album. Okay, Uh-oh. well, we're doing that one tomorrow, so go get on anyway, it. Anyway, um, start your research. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Jimmy. All right. No problem. Thank Bye. you. Bye.
Have a good night. Bye, Bye everybody. Bye. Vinyl and Vision is a Psychic Static production. Theme song written and performed by Jeff Robbins of 123 Astronaut.